0: You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at WeAreLibertarians.com.
1: All right, let's get back to some boring subjects. Understand the risks to our country. Freedom brings people together. You're listening to the We Are Libertarians network. Learn more at WeAreLibertarians.com. Hey, welcome to episode 326 of We Are Libertarians. My name is Chris Spangle here on November 1st.
0: We're very close, very close to Election Day. I know all of you are very excited. It will all be over soon. Uh, Tonight we're going to talk about uh, violence in politics and violent political rhetoric and nonviolence and uh, how responsible is Donald Trump and how responsible is the media. So lots to talk about. My guest will be, uh, well, my co-host will be Sarah Brady-Wagner, and uh, we'll be back here in just
1: one moment. Warning. This show is for adults, produced by semi-adults, so the language is sometimes strong and offensive. Uh, I don't know what I said, uh Welcome to We Are Libertarians, where our goal is to help you sound smarter while talking to your friends. We examine current events from a libertarian perspective while treating modern politics with all of the irreverence it deserves. There has been lie after lie. We toss out the screaming heads, put people before political parties, and give context to the news to make you think. Now, here's our host, a 15-year veteran of politics and media, Chris Spangle.
0: All right, welcome to the program. Again, my name is Chris Spangle. If you've never listened, please subscribe in iTunes or whatever player you possibly subscribe in. Uh, Somebody asked today how many subscribers we have. I I was like, I have no idea. Um, But uh, it really helps if you never miss a show. So please subscribe on iTunes. Rate us five stars while you're there. Same on Google Play. All right. Tonight, for the first time, uh, no stranger to the network, but definitely a stranger to the big show... Uh, there are reasons. I think she thinks that uh, it's because we'll argue too much, but we'll see. Uh, I think but, he's scared of me. <laughs> but it's not. It is Sarah Brady Wagner, host of uh, Fundamental Freedoms, our weekly YouTube show, which you can go check out on our YouTube channel. Hit subscribe while you're there as well. Uh, and one of the hosts of We Are Libertarians Daily, which is going swimmingly, uh, several thousand people a day listening. So I, I checked today and I'm... I uh, went to fact check you guys, and you guys are doing a tremendous job. So thank you for everything that you're doing, Sarah.
2: Well, I know we were all worried that you know you were going to put it on the big feed, and we were just going to get like two downloads. So, <laughs> uh,
0: not not an unfair. I was. I, it's not that I was worried. It's that anytime you do something different in a feed, audiences are so fickle, and so they don't. I know there are people going, oh, I can't take it. There's too much content." you know, and so to you people, I say I apologize. Just pick, pick. But listen, you guys are really doing a great job. I, you know, I was listening to uh, you. You and I were talking about one of the episodes. It it was you and Hody. Was that episode three where you talked about uh, in vitro fertilization? Yes. And so I listen, I'm have actively avoided getting pregnant for the last 35 years, so in vitro fertilization was not something that I had ever really thought about or had given any thought to, but I thought that it was just a really interesting exercise in ethics, and and I, and I loved it. I thought it was great. So you guys are doing a great job putting out all kinds of content, you and Hody and uh let's see, Reinhold, Brian Nichols, uh, Paul Copeland. Uh those are those are the main guys that, that seem to be doing, and I've done a couple. So go check that out. Make sure you're listening. Uh don't slack, please. Um I'm I'm quasi panicking over here because I got the wrong show notes, Sarah.
2: You have the wrong show notes?
0: Yes, and I don't know where to put the right ones. I, I did two versions. And so I'm like, I can send you
2: the version you sent to me.
0: That's the wrong one. See, now you're a nanny, right?
2: Yes. What age?
0: What age range would you put me at?
2: I would. I would put you at um, a typically male. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm sorry. That was very sexist.
0: It was. I'm offended. Um, you should be. All right. I found them. We're we're good now. Um,
2: or do I get to have them? Are you going to send them to me?
0: I, th- there's no way to do that without I'll when I set you off and I rant at you they're not that different. there's just a like the little list that I sent you of what we're talking about so i, All I right.
2: well I mean I'll have opinions either way
0: i'm just i'm I've had a long week, I'm off kilter i've I've had a very busy week, and um my life has been complicated, and uh, I don't like when my life is complicated and Facebook I'm very angry at them. Uh, so I just went to look at uh, the show notes that I sent you, and I'm in the other account. I'm in one of my four or eight accounts that I have now.
2: Uh I did have to search for them that way. Yeah, uh, <laughs> find witchcress. Ah, uh, well, it's it's much easier when they just you know let you keep your account. But
0: it, it would be much easier if they were uh, if they had let me keep my account. So I, I didn't
2: I- realize how the specifics of of uh, Facebook jail worked. I mean, I've known people who've been in it, but I guess I've never really interacted with them that much so it was a surprise to me that like you couldn't even use messenger
0: no you sent me a message and i was like i have to message you somewhere else i can't use messenger i can't like anything i can do some admin things on certain things but i can't That's interesting yeah but and i can add new friends or delete people and i can do some security things but i can't i can't really use any of the features when you're in the facebook gulag um so uh, did you get a chance to listen to my interview with, uh, there, there's a lot going out, so it's okay to say no, but uh, did you see or hear my interview with the Liberty Memes guys?
2: No, I didn't. I'm sorry. That's okay.
0: Um,
2: so, I only uh, get about half of what's in the feed usually.
0: Uh, listen, I, I'm like on episode six of, <laughs> so I, I am one of those people where I'm like, I spent all my time prepping for this, uh, so... So anyways, uh, I did that interview with the Liberty Memes guys, and I did it on Facebook Live, one of them, and then I premiered it again the next day. We had posted it multiple places. Uh, We had repeatedly posted the Liberty Memes new page. So we were- 2.0, 3.0. 3.0. So we were very heavy on Liberty Memes on Facebook, and from Facebook's point of view- I could definitely see how a group of people pointing out their flaws as a business would be something you don't want on your platform. Uh, And so what I theorize happened is that I had my account scanned shortly after that, and they found something that I said on the We Are Libertarians page that was essentially a historical argument. I basically told this guy, I said, you're uh, you're making the same argument that a good German would have made, saying something along the lines of, maybe the Jews are the problem.
2: That's not a great start, Chris.
0: Well, Jews was the magic word. <laughs> You're not allowed to say that. I am not anti-Semitic in the least. You're
2: not allowed to make Holocaust comparisons because I, it undermines the seriousness.
0: It's a historic argument, but it, it is it is one that is honestly, uh, I didn't think it was it was an inaccurate statement, but Facebook found that to be um, hate speech. So I am banned for 30 days for uh, hate speech. And I don't feel that I am that hateful. Do you?
2: Well, I don't think so. I generally, well, uh, in requires intent. But <laughs> it, it,
0: yeah, there was definitely no intent. I Listen, I love the Jews. I love the, the Hebrew Bible. I read it every day. I have nothing against Jewish people whatsoever. And so it just, you kind of go really (laughs) and so because I've had one band before I should have gotten one day maybe three and I got 30 and what is between now and 30 days Sarah
2: yeah uh the election
0: yeah that's right so you don't think that had
2: something to do with
0: it a 100% do yeah so I have a friend who one of my vendors was actually at Facebook uh and so he he just said yeah it's like a it's grim around there
2: it's not just pages it's it's individuals it's people who say things that the people in charge don't like
0: yeah and so everybody there at facebook because the earnings calls aren't going well because of cambridge analytica because of the increased scrutiny that they have on them before these elections they're taking no chances and so they're 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 deleting people like me and i'm not the only one uh liberty memes 2.0 got zucked that got taken down And then Liberty Memes 3.0 popped up, and I think that might still be up. And uh, But between then, I said to the the gay brothers, you know what you need to do? You're never going to admin a page ever again. Like, they're done. Totally. And so, why don't you just tell your people to start making Liberty Memes pages? And they, oh boy, have they. There's so many now. And I would encourage everybody in the We Are Libertarians audience, go to the We Are Libertarians Facebook page or the Liberty Memes Facebook page. Oh my
2: goodness, I just searched for Liberty Memes. I see what you mean.
0: How many are there?
2: Um, Several. Uh, what
0: are some of the names? Uh,
2: there's uh, definitely not Liberty Memes. Uh, Liberty <laughs> Memes 99, uh, Liberty Memes 3, Liberty Memes 4. Uh, yeah, I, they're just new. Oh, Return of the Son of Liberty Memes. I like that one. <laughs>
0: i love the internet and so yeah go create your own facebook page with liberty memes and just start sharing your own meme share it to your friends
2: well do you really think the idea here is that they're trying to get rid of the memes
0: yes i do i do i think that they are they are trying i think facebook's ultimate goal i think they understand that now that this pandora's box of attention on them has been opened that that's never going to stop. And so it's bad for their business for people to constantly see politics on Facebook, the original intent. And you're quite a bit younger. So I don't know. Did you have do you have like the account with like you in middle school on your Facebook? Yes. (laughs) I need to go.
2: I have a distinct memory of having to lie about my age for Facebook at one point.
0: (laughs) Do you have do you still have how embarrassing are the photos of you in middle school?
2: Oh, I, I have gotten into a habit in uh, the last year or two of gradually deleting things, you know, because we were all irritating as as middle schoolers. And dear God, some of us then also were given the chance to put it out there on Facebook.
0: I can't imagine what you're on this day looks like all like I see stuff that I said on Facebook a decade ago and i'm like what an embarrassment but i was a 28 year old man or i
2: well facebook has one feature that i've i've really come to appreciate as i've gotten older which allows you to just retroactively make everything private yes uh so you can just go you know i i i've gotten i've grown i've learned something i know now that i said stupid things in the past i'm I'm just going to at least make it so that other people can't share my stupid things.
0: Yeah, that's the like there was a reporter for CNN. I think she's at the White House and she said some pretty ugly stuff on Twitter and some conservative group found it and put it out and put it on blast. And it's like this girl was a nobody in college and was joking around with her friends. And just because the same account now is verified with hundreds of thousands of people, it's like. You know,
2: uh, it's become a standard tactic now, though, yeah. is you because anybody and it's true for any of us. You could look far enough back, and you're going to find one thing that you can probably take out of context. But you could probably find something that you don't even need to take out of context that was a really dumb thing to say. And then once you make it a big deal, it doesn't matter whether or not you're going to take responsibility and go, "Yeah, that was a really stupid thing to say," because you've already got the the blue check mark bob after you.
0: Yeah. Well, I have taken this time in the gulag, and I have uh, considered my behavior, and I, de- I have decided I did nothing wrong. I make no apologies for anything that I said, and uh, I will be back in 30 days. I oh, you need more penitence, then. I don't. <laughs> I'm tired of apologizing. I've had enough. And so, so one of the guys on the Liberty Memes 2.0, but this is one of the concerning things for me, one of the guys on that ad- admin team, and thank God, thank God I, like, Dadman. Had after the interview made me an admin of 2.0 and I didn't see it because I wasn't using that account, so I didn't hit accept, which was a great honor. I was very honored that he would bestow Liberty Memes admin access to me as an editor. But had I done that, I would have been like Admin 3, who had not only his account suspended, I think he said. I think I know for sure that they deleted every one of his pages, including his local Boy Scout troop page. Oh wow. So he he was a guy who didn't participate on Liberty Memes, just had his account connected to the Liberty Memes account and had his local Boy Scout page deleted because of his association with Liberty Memes. So, you know, I have a work interests that I manage work pages, so I don't I don't you know, and that's the the whole goal of these kind of bands. You know, I've been I should have gotten a two or three day ban, but I got a thirty day. And you can't get too many of those before they just won't let you back on. Like our friend Miranda, she, well, when they figure out she's back on Facebook, they'll kill her off again. Uh, yeah, sh- that's okay. Well, I guess Facebook does listen uh, to the show, but um,
2: well, they at least have their bots scan it.
0: Absolutely. So uh, some larger pages with hundreds of thousands of likes and other podcasts, which we will not main- name because I'm trying not to be petty uh they they were like oh you you're lying i'm like why do you think they scan my account i'm i'm a good citizen of facebook i've spent tens of thousands of dollars with facebook over the years my account it brings joy to so many people sarah oh really it does
2: joy only joy it doesn't bring suffering or sorrow no
0: only to rob kendall thoughts only to rob and uh You know, I'm like, why do you think they scan my account? It's when you when you hear Admin Three's sad story, uh, so I don't want to get. But that's the point. They don't. They go, all right. Well, we're gonna rough one of you up, like Admin Three. So then, all the rest of you learn and don't don't mess around. Like, all right,
2: make an example.
0: That's exactly what it is. So, um, and, and there were several media outlets, libertarian outlets, that after. I got scanned and banned. They didn't want to. They didn't want to talk about liberty memes. They wouldn't post about it because they didn't want to get in trouble. In fact, said all of the censorship is just a just a hoax. This is- it's a
2: very real chilling effect, though, um, because in some of those cases, I wonder if people really believed it's a hoax or if they're just trying to, you know, throw off. Oh, I'm not part of this. I'm not going to get upset.
0: Right. And my point to them in this admin chat was that your time's coming like it doesn't matter because Facebook ultimately doesn't want politics on their platform it's I I don't necessarily buy that it's totally against conservatives and libertarians I do think that it is certainly more biased towards them but there's no denying that liberal pages are taken down and I think they just everybody's miserable I like do you go on Facebook and actually enjoy your experience anymore
2: well, I mean, I've seen plenty of studies that show that just in general, it doesn't make people happier. Um, using Facebook on a regular basis causes you to be uh, more likely to be depressed and sad. Right. Um, I mean, I deactivated mine just for a couple of days and it was kind of a nice experience.
0: Yeah. Like I have one account that's just for po- posting pictures of my nieces and I have all my family and close friends on there. And, you know, it's kind of nice. I like that feed because it's just it's just like a, a nice pastoral place you go and you sit and watch all your friends and family walk by, and it's very peaceful. And that's what Facebook wants. They, they don't want political discussions because they ultimately know what we know, which is they don't do anything. I mean, I don't know how many people you might have converted on on Facebook and in the comment section, but I would say that my number is zero. Really? I, I Listen, I've never been in a Facebook comment argument that persuaded the other person that I'm going back and forth with. Now, I will say that people watch the comments and like to see the arguments being made back and forth as long as they're polite, and that is beneficial, but no, I don't think I've ever been in a Facebook argument with another person because it's it's a public argument where people don't want to relent and look wrong in public.
2: Well, I think it also depends on what your your goal there is. It sounds like you're looking at anytime you're having an argument, your goal is to win, and that's how most people are. Sure. But, you know, if you kind of take that goal as to it's not just about my side, it's also about your side. So, um if I can try and get you to understand your side or to at least um articulate it and then you can kind of get all Socratic about it, that actually seems to work well with, in my experience. But maybe yeah, being in nice yours is a big part.
0: People just don't people don't hang for that long. You know, I I I try to be friendly like there does come a certain point where you just go, I'm not throwing my pearls before swine. I'm just going to mock this person uh, for the for the benefit of others, which is not very nice, but uh, yeah,
2: I avoid that. I can't
0: help it. Um,
2: yes, you can. It's called self-control.
0: Well, if I had any of that, then we wouldn't do this show. <laughs> I would I would I would sit and I would sit and just be quiet and keep my thoughts to myself. But uh, I don't have that. I don't have that uh, that gene, I guess.
2: Self-control is just about knowing when it's appropriate to speak. It's not saying, oh, I don't say anything. That's, I, I don't know. I hear that a lot. And I always annoys me is this idea of like, oh, what? You don't want me to say inappropriate things? I guess I guess you can't talk at all. Like, well, I would hope that you have some appropriate things to say. Like, we have productive conversations all the time. It's just, but you... Just kind of you, reading other people and knowing how, when it's appropriate, knowing when it's the venue.
0: Yeah, but there's the problem with being in public. And I've I've lived my life in public for long enough at this point to know... It doesn't matter what you do or say. So, like, Rupert is a great friend of mine. Rupert from Survivor ran for governor here in Indiana. He and I talk every week. Uh, He's he's the sweetest human being alive. I've I've literally never heard Rupert say a bad word about anybody. And when we were at the state fair, uh, and seven thousand people came through the booth to shake his hand as he ran for governor, people would turn, walk away, and I was exiting them out, and they'd go, "What an asshole." And I know for a fact that Rupert was not an asshole to these people because he isn't an asshole ever. I've been around him hundreds of hours. I've never seen the guy have a crossword to anybody. You know some people will just take whatever you say or think or how you present yourself and just not like it like there's just or they'll make an issue of it. It's just how yeah. it is so you know if I, if I, I I don't know I get what you're saying I, I have not
2: everybody's gonna like you but
0: I have really tried to be more nice. Like I just think that it, it is harder in election season. I don't know if you've experienced this, but it's harder in election season to be nicer. Like the, uh,
2: it, I would say there's there's more times where you have to kind of exercise that. You know, there's only a finite amount of human willpower.
0: Yeah, where you're just like, I need to walk away from this and go do something productive because this idiot's gonna this idiot's going to uh, make me curse the Holy Spirit right
2: here. <laughs> yeah, you're like, I have lots to say to you right now, so I'm gonna walk away.
0: Well, that's one thing I want to say to people tonight. You know, how long have you been politically active?
2: Uh, from pretty much my entire adult life. Um, so eight years. All
0: right. So this isn't your first rodeo. Nine years. Yeah. Yeah. This is not mine. I've been politically active since 2002. 2002. And so, I, I mean, I've been involved in campaigns or, you know, now talking about elections ever since then. And, You know, it just gets really, especially the last two weeks, things get really much more, they get much more ramped up. And I think a lot of what we're going through as a society right now is that there's so many people on the left and the right specifically that are for the first time getting engaged in politics and they've never been through an election cycle. You know, 2016 was kind of the beginning, but then this is the first one where they've really paid attention to the whole cycle. And they're just like everybody's so angry. It's like, no, this is yeah. kind of how it always is. Like, if you're going to pay attention to politics, like this is just people, people, people don't like to be disagreed with, or they don't like to be told they're wrong, or they don't like to feel that they don't know the right information, or they don't like to. You know, there's just a lot going on, and there's a lot of emotion involved in in supporting candidates, for instance. And so, oh, yeah. I th- so I think part of what we're go- what we're facing right now with this crisis of hateful rhetoric uh discussions is just that there's a lot of new people listening for the first time and talking for the first time and they don't know how to do it yet
2: yeah they're still trying to learn how to i guess that's probably why you hear so much conversation about why can't we be civil it's like well because you're still learning this right you know some of us have have had you know to go through those conversations and to deal with the very opposed opinions and to learn to agree to disagree, even though you're working together and maybe even working against each other. But, you know, that takes time. It takes practice.
0: Yeah, like we have a group here. We are libertarians of near 20 people. And people certainly disagree all the time. I mean, people disagree on a daily basis in the in one group chat that we have. and But it doesn't at the end of the day, like just because – Tad and Reinhold couldn't be more different people if they tried. <laughs> it doesn't mean that they don't necessarily dislike each other. You know, we've.
2: It, well, and disagreeing is how you learn more about any subject. Right. I mean, that's uh, even. I mean, that's why we we tend to even want to play devil's advocate is because you go, okay, well, there's lots of reasons we can agree, but why would anyone not agree? And you really have to kind of give that. Um, give it the benefit of the doubt and give people good intentions. And I think that's where people struggle is uh, extending the assumption that uh, you don't suck and you're not actually trying to hurt me. You're probably trying to help everyone. Uh, We just have very different ideas about how to go about that.
0: Yeah. I think sometimes when people counter with an argument and go, okay, prove that or yeah, I don't agree with you because I have this piece of information. Have you heard this? Sometimes people take that volley back as a personal affront, and they're not mm-hmm. trying to attack you. They're just trying to say, "I have different information. Let's compare information." I think if we if we look like if we looked at political discussions a little more like, I have I have this set of information, you have that set of information. Let's work through who has the best and build a build a document with all the right information. You know, uh, with a group of people, then maybe things would be a little different than. I have this piece of identity, and because I am this, that's exactly way, what it is. Yeah, because I believe in this team. I, I really, if you watch politics, it really is starting to resemble sporting tribes, sporting teams. It always has, though. Yeah, but it's it's different. Like having been around, I mean, if you've been active for about a decade, like politics is a lot different than it was even in two thousand and eight. And it was and it was and it was really changing a lot then. Like it is, it's now to the point where people don't really have a lot of facts. They just have a jersey on, and they're screaming that uh, Peyton Manning's better than Tom Brady. And, and like it's yeah, you have some facts and statistics that go with it, but it doesn't necessarily like. Obviously, Peyton Manning's the better quarterback, but. <laughs> so i i it just has started to feel like uh sports as opposed to life and death i mean the power and control of the government is life and death for people
2: yeah but you know it also has to do with the amount of power that we give it to the government i mean i hear this rhetoric all the time though that you know if you're scared of of trump now maybe you shouldn't have spent eight years giving obama power but that's that those are the stakes that we put in this the bigger and more powerful that you make our government the the more people have you know invested in making sure that their team wins because you know it does mean a lot more than it used to
0: Yeah because if you're on one side of an issue and I'm on the other and if you get control you're going to force me to live a certain way that I don't want that is counter to my values and belief system and you're going to point a gun at my head and say, you're going to live the way I want you to. Like, I'm not going to let you do that. I'm going to fight you with tooth, tooth and nail to, to live the way that I think I ought to live.
2: Even, even on a smaller level, just kind of culture wars, um, you know, whenever one side wins, then they get to be the dominant side. They get to be the side that says, you know, well, my kind of morality is right and you guys are wrong. You know, right. We, that's where everybody wants to be.
0: Well, and I feel there's a lot of unnecessary – uh, like Don Lemon the other night. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if I could pull this up. Um, I think that people – even the people who – CNN to me, I don't understand their business model. It's like they said – All right. Hillary Clinton was the least popular candidate in American history. Let's adopt her belief system and her smug moral superiority. And let's just craft a network after it.
2: Well, they're they're, I mean, any of the media, you can see it's it's a fractionated market. They're not going after everyone. They're not going after the people who hated Hillary Clinton. They're going after the people who thought that she was the best candidate and don't understand why everybody else didn't vote for him. Just right. like Fox News is not trying to appeal to the middle. They're going after Trump supporters because they know that's their section of the market. Yeah. Why bother with anything else?
0: Yeah, but if you're going to pretend that you're straight news, like at least try to pretend. Like, <laughs> I think one of the things that I do like about Trump is that Trump has forced other people to drop their mask. And yeah. I, I think Trump is pure American politics. I think that is what American politics has looked like for a long time. And if you find Donald Trump to be grotesque, then your American political system is grotesque to you. At least it should be. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of people that don't find it grotesque, but I I think that the way that he conducts himself, and the way that he talks, is just how a lot of it operates. I think that, um, you know, foreign spies trying to infiltrate American campaigns, that, for instance, is just how it's always been. I think a lot of, because he is so such a grotesque person at the end of the day, and he he drives certain people, mainly people on the left, so off their rocker, like it's almost like a mania at this point, that they just can't help but drop their masks. So like we always knew CNN, for instance, was leftist... Oh, there's a cat fight going on right in front of the computer, sorry. Uh, you know, we always kind of knew CNN was pro-government, pro-corporation, pro-elite, pro you know, government is good. Government can help you do things. Government and, and pro-Democrat in some ways. But now it's, just, now it's just like naked. Like listen to, let's, uh, let's play this clip. Let's see what we get. Uh, sorry, I thought that that just went off. Uh, because this is, this is so stunning to me.
3: It's not just Pittsburgh. It's not just the bomber. There was another hate-filled criminal just last week in Kentucky. Another white man, history of violence, custody for shooting and killing two African-Americans at a grocery store, Kroger's. But what he tried to do was barge into a predominantly black church. He failed. And then he picked a secondary target. He's being investigated for hate crimes. Don Lemon is here right now. We barely had time to cover it because we were distracted by another extremist Mm. that was doing bad things in the name of hate. Yeah. And then now another one and you have all of them in a row and you know we talked we messaged about this a little bit this weekend i keep trying to point out to people not to demonize any one group or any one ethnicity but we keep thinking that the biggest terror threat is something else some 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 people who are marching you know towards the border like it's imminent and when the last time they did this a couple hundred people came and they you know most of them did get into the country most of them tired you know got tuckered out before they even made it to the border um so we have to stop demonizing people and realize the biggest terror threat in this country is white men. Most of them radicalized right, to the right. And we have to.
0: <laughs> like there wasn't even a period that he said, we need to stop demonizing people, comma, uh, except white men. White Right. Men. <laughs> right. Let's continue listening because this has been highly edited and let's give you the full two minute context here.
3: To Start doing something about them. There is no travel ban on them. There is no ban on, you know, they had the Muslim ban. There is no white guy ban. So what do we do about that? So, and, and, and first of all, let me just say this. Maurice Stollard is the name and Vicki Jones. And they have been lost in all of this. Two people who were killed on Wednesday that you talked about. They have been lost about this. And I know that people feel that this story has not gotten enough coverage. And we will honor them tonight in our program. But go on, Chris. Sorry. Good. No, no, no. I'm going to do it in the closing. You're making the right point. You're covering the right story, and I appreciate you for that. All right. See you soon. All right.
0: Thanks. I found something. They, These two are the best friends that two best friends could ever be. They, The weird kiss that they gave each other the other day. I don't know. Uh, Don Lemon, like, I beg of you to stop because you're going to give us a, an eternal Donald Trump presidency with this kind of messaging. And I think... So I, I was listening to Ben Sass uh, because he, he gave a great conversation. Uh, I put it in the show notes, which are amazing. I want to thank I, I want to thank our amazing uh, prep team, Zach, Hody, uh, some folks that I don't want to uh, say out loud. Um. Gosh, am I missing anybody? Uh, Vaughn,
2: Zach, and Hody do most of the research. <laughs> yeah,
0: and so you guys did a great job. the The show notes are like seventeen pages long for this episode because there's so much great stuff there. We've got details on the shooting, details on political violence that we're going to talk about. Great stuff there. Uh, you can also find my new profile that you can. Uh, it's going to be my political profile. You can go, feel free to add me there. But, uh, Senator Ben Sass on Political Division and America's Loneliness on Kick Ass News, the Kick Ass News podcast. And, you know, he talked a lot about loneliness, but he, he also talked about how the, the right wing press will take an instance like that. And, he, uh, what did he call it? Nut, nut grabbing? <laughs> That's not what he called it. Uh, nut hunting. Um, but taking something like that and, uh, Listen, more people. The reach of We Are Libertarians is probably as big as CNN on a good day. <laughs> like, let's say a hundred thousand people might have actually seen that clip of Don Lemon before, but we've taken the, those little th- things like that that are just so wildly stupid, and I, I, like just wildly stupid. Like, the, like white the, a white man. He didn't even get the Muslim ban right. He's like all Muslims are banned. No, it was a it was a travel ban from certain Muslim countries, and it wasn't right. But it was like so. What the conservative press will do that is they'll take that and they'll amplify it. But the left also does the same thing too. They'll take something that Donald Trump or somebody on the right does and they'll amplify it on their end. And that's our, that's part of the problem is that we're now in these echo chambers where we're taking little moments like that and we're just. We're thinking that that is the multitude of people in the country, but when you really break it down, he talked about the survey, and we, I think we talked about it on the show, The Atlantic uh, covered it, um, where 80% of people are just fed up with identity politics. You may have seen that article where it was like, the only people who are really hardcore into right-leaning identity politics are a small group of white elites, and on the left, the only people on the left who are into it are a small group of white elites, mm-hmm. and they're the ones sort of pushing these political divisions and creating these little echo chambers because they're funding groups, that, that like Media Matters, for instance, uh, that then raise these little things to uh, a very heated temperature. And so everybody thinks that Don Lemon is what the left thinks of white men, which I don't think that's the case. I think I'm sure that there is a large segment of the population that thinks white men are the problem. Um, but usually it's probably because of one white man, <laughs> but well,
2: I, okay. So this probably just comes from being immersed in uh much more progressive people generally during my day. But I, I, I assumed that where he was coming from, um, was talking about domestic terrorist statistics. <clears throat> I need to look it up to be sure. And actually I could probably do that right now. Mm-hmm. Um, But I know there's been a lot said about basically that um, successful domestic terrorist attacks in the United States are more commonly carried out by uh, far right groups. Um, My favorite part of that actually is that uh, there are far left terrorist groups too. They just apparently are not as successful at carrying out. They tend to get caught before they um, manage to get to the action. Um, But in that case, you know, they tend to be white men, but Also, that is, I I wonder how much of that is just because, you know, statistically, there's also a lot of white men in the United States.
0: Exactly. Yeah. I mean, and as a white male, you hear that and you immediately want to get defensive about it. Like, what do you mean? I'm just, I'm a citizen. I'm trying to go to work. I'm trying to pay my taxes. I'm trying to raise a family. I've got two cats that are very important to society. You know, like I'm out here just trying to be a good person. I'm getting banned on Facebook for hate speech. I'm, you know, it's companies don't want to talk to you unless you they owe you you owe them money. Like it it, it does. It gets to a point where you just go, I'm tired of it. I've had enough. And you have to kind of step back and go, the Don Lemons of the world are really irrelevant, and that's not the that's not representative of the left. And uh, by the same token, you have to look at it and you have to go, Donald Trump speaks for a lot of people, but Donald Trump is not every conservative. Donald Trump is not every Republican. Uh, he's creating more and more Trumps, but the Don Lemons of the world don't help. I think we've. I've killed Sarah. Uh, I guess Don Lemon was right. White men are the problem. I uh, didn't mean to... Hurt my co-host? No, I'm kidding. I'm back. Okay. Um, okay. I'm going I'm to take this moment here to pause and uh, before we move on from my Facebook jail and thank, uh, let's see here, Joshua Sexton. He sent, me, he sent me a box of Hostess cupcakes and he sent me a uh, file, a Stanley six-inch single cut and mill bastard file. So I've got my very own bastard file to get out of Facebook jail. Uh, so I want to thank him for that. Uh, And uh, I want to also say, uh, I'm going to do an election special for our Patreon members. So this weekend, if you're a Patreon member, $5 and up, then you're going to get a special episode of We Are Libertarians, where I'm going to break down uh, races important across the nation, and uh, two libertarians, and my predictions for Tuesday. And then on Tuesday night, I know a lot of you may be going to an election party because you're involved in your local politics, but if not... If you're a Patreon member, ten dollars and above, I'm going to have a special Zoom for uh, those of you who are Patreon members. We're gonna ha- we're going to watch. We're gonna have our own online election night party. So it's gonna be a ton of fun. Uh, I'm I'm going to be on a program. It's a, like think of it as a conference call with video, and uh, you can join on your phone or your computer or whatever. And we're going to watch the election returns on Tuesday night together. Um, I will stream some audio. I'll give live commentary. We'll have conversations with each other. So you can you can get both of those if you join Patreon now. So ten dollars a month and above, and you get to join the election night party. And uh, if you are a five dollar a month and above, you'll get the uh, special election analysis that uh, I'll put out this weekend. I've got to do the research and then record the show, and then I'll I'll put it out uh, on the weekend. So you'll have it before Tuesday and hear my thoughts on the important races that are going on. and uh, So be sure to join Patreon at WeAreLibertarians.com before Tuesday. And uh, on Tuesday night, I'll send out a link, and you can join the election night party. So it'll be a ton of fun. You get to interact with not only with me, but a lot of other listeners. And I can confirm most of them are cool. So special thanks to Joshua Sexton for sending that my way and to all of our Patreon members and especially to Craig DaCosta, Christy Avery, and the Libertarian Coalition and Jason Doolittle for their support at $100 a month. Uh, Donald Keller does a great job. He's got his phone back, so check out the Libertarian Coalition on Facebook. Uh, So let's give you some details on the shooting that actually happened over the... Uh, the weekend. It was a very sad situation, very depressing. Uh, On Sunday, a gunman entered the Tree of Life Synagogue during a baby naming (laughs) ceremony, opened fire, and killed 11. (laughs) See, I told her we were on break, so she thinks we're on break. She's going to have such a surprise when she comes back. Um, So, the gunman barricaded himself in the synagogue and was eventually detained by police and transported to a hospital to be treated. Um, So, uh Sarah, I decided to start reading some of the synagogue content so you didn't have to sit there and just wait on me reading. Um, so the gunman was supposedly motivated by the migrant caravan, according to Vox, via his Gab, which I have an account on Gab, and I have to say it is a pretty grotesque place. I don't like going on Gab. I think that uh, the idea of these free speech sites are right. But there's something about Gab that is just kind of, I don't know if it was specifically targeting like racists, <laughs> but uh, are you on Gab at all?
2: Uh, no, I'm not. I have i think I have a MeWe account, but I've never really invested. I'm not even on Twitter. I, I can't seem to get into much social media.
0: MeWe, there's like two people on there that yeah. interact with me and then gab is just really racist and gross and then minds.com i think is the only one where there's any kind of interaction but the problem with these alternative social networks is you're talking to four people there's no reach it's the same people that already think as you so there's not really like free speech conversation it's just sort of you shouting in an echo chamber trying to get followers on this new social network because w- when social networking started the goal was to just like it was social proof it's like become really popular as quickly as possible on a brand new social network and then you can be you can start like a business for yourself and so what yeah. a lot of people are doing is they're trying to become as big as they can on these new networks so they can then well,
2: it's shifted from from what i think the initial idea of it was because initially you know it was just communication. It was supposed to be getting you in contact with your friends and your family, and you'd be able to, you know, contact grandma, but then it became, you know, it became so integrated as part of who you are, you know, you assume you could look somebody up on Facebook, that this has to be some sort of representation of you, and that's when it becomes social proof, instead of just communication.
0: Yeah. And so, I think that's why Jack and some of the, they're trying to get rid of retweets and likes, and they want to limit the amount of social proof there is on these sites. But that that's kind of the social. Ne- I think just what people, what, what's going to happen, I, I can tell you like with Facebook, for instance. Uh, two years ago, when I was helping a local business do some consulting, I was like, do Facebook. Facebook advertising is where it's at. And it worked for them because it was highly targeted, but in, in a lot of cases, Facebook advertising just doesn't do a lot because it's kind of blended into the rest of the posts. Mm-hmm. And so advertisers are starting to realize that radio specifically and traditional forms of advertising really are where they ought to be.
1: Well, yeah, I mean,
2: a lot of times you it, people will acclimate to whatever um, – advertising methods there are i mean that's that's one of the frustrating things about the advertising industry is no matter what you are using now eventually people will become desensitized to it i mean commercials generally don't even work anymore from what i've read as far as um, products go um i don't know as far as ideologically i've seen some other issues on that as far as like you know service messages and political messages
0: yeah i've seen no absolutely no impact on libertarian campaigns over the last decade, from social advertising, direct mail. Like if I if I were giving telling you where to direct your ad dollars, it's radio, direct mail, and and build an email marketing system. Like that, that to me is where where your money is at. And so, I think people are starting. You know, that's why they're missing calls. People like me, when you say when half the country, let's let's not say they're saying conservatives aren't welcome, but when half the country feels that they're not welcome. Uh, do, like, do you think that I'm going to continue to advertise this podcast on their platform? Like, well, I no. think what
2: will probably happen is more of you're going to end up with a fractionated market, which is going to then hurt the ad revenue model for all these businesses. You know, Facebook is only as successful as it is, and Google is only as successful as they are because they have damn near a monopoly. They've got everybody paying attention. Right. Once you separate it into okay. <clears throat> This is where you go to talk about politics. This is where you go to get with your family. This is where you go. I mean, you've already got LinkedIn is where you go to get a job. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think I, I see it just becoming more versions of that, but that then doesn't really feed into the ad model. So it requires innovation if how they're going to earn money.
0: The other problem with segregating people is that I think Gab, it, it, it when you aren't having free speech and open discussion, and people aren't being challenged and having their thoughts challenged, like on a Facebook or a Twitter, and they go to Gab, and it's just an echo chamber of white nationalism if they want it to be, um, then that just grows the problem. And And I also think that the banning of Alex Jones has given Alex Jones's message a lot of credence. I think I don't. I don't know yeah. about you. You're unfortunately. Not, you're in North Carolina. I'm in Indiana. I. You know, we were, we were talking about this, and um, my type of Republican that I grew up around is the the more cosmopolitan Republican, the lawyers, you know, I grew up as, as a talk radio show producer and a reporter. And so the Republicans and as a volunteer and so the Republicans I knew all wore like, you know, nice leather shoes and suits and the Republicans. These are
2: not the Republicans in my area. Yeah. And the
0: Republicans in your area are what?
2: Uh, I mean, they're more what you think of as, as Trump voters, but, um, even before Trump, the Republicans in our area are, you know they're small business owners, but um, this is not—it's—it's it's not that much of a jump for me to see Trump voters. Um I mean, that, there's always been that motive there.
0: Yeah, down in North Carolina, it's a little bit different than maybe you know here in uh, a Midwestern city. And so when people, what what well, I and even
2: that is different from like. California Republicans are way more libertarian than anywhere else in the country.
0: Bill Weld right. Bill Weld was talking shit about New York Republicans so <laughs> um, no I think uh, so so when something like the bomber comes along, not the shooter because we're talking a lot about the shooter, but this this bomber guy who had all the he had basically a rap, Like the stickers, you know, I listened to Alex Jones last week to see what he was saying about it. And the dude. Yeah, you were
2: so surprised by those stickers. I have seen multiple cars with those.
0: I have seen one or two of those over the years, but like, yeah, I was I was like, ah, this looks fake. And you're like, Oh no. No, no, they're definitely not fake.
2: (laughs) Yeah. I'm like, I, I know people who've made these themselves. I know like I could recommend to you where you could make this. Uh Oh, gosh, just I'm thinking all the bike shows that I've gone to and they will have booths that that sell stuff like this. I mean, this is not new. It's I, I appreciate that this is crazy and new to uh, other parts of the country. But, um, yeah, this this kind of very outspoken. Uh, somebody knows that, there, that there's a, an opinion there. <laughs> it I don't know. I just I, it really surprises me that everybody else um thinks that this is clearly not real. I don't know. It's the only way you think to say it. It just really shocks me.
0: Yeah. uh, It, it, to me is like, it's a culture shock that somebody like that existed.
2: (laughs) Oh no. You just, you come down and visit. i Right'll introduce you to people, but
0: I guess Florida man does exist. and so so this guy, you look at Several. it he, here's a guy who took the time to lay this out on Photoshop and then have a professional wrap printed. and I could totally see how people could see the fresh painted van, the the professionally done stickers, and totally think that the FBI did it. I totally understand that line of thinking. And I totally understand why some people would have those thoughts. Like I I
2: can see that, but to me it, it makes much more sense to go. No, he's just one of those guys who is that into Trump that, you know, he spent his Saturday laying out his stickers because that's what all he had to do. And, you know, paid the guy down the block. Who's also a really big Trump fan to come and wrap his car. And they, you know, yeah, it's, it's a community thing.
0: Exactly. Right. And so, and then you hear the interview with the, her, like the boss, which I heard on No Agenda show, which I love, but they were like, "Ah, oh, come on, this is so staged."
2: I'll have to send you some examples. So my husband, he also makes stickers actually as part of what he does for a job. He okay. like, does custom vinyl stickers, and he's had a couple of uh, he's had a couple of Trump ones that have come through that he'll he'll get them and he'll like take a picture of the order that he has to make. He'll just be like, "This this pains me to make." this. <laughs> you
0: sent them to me, yeah. Usually involving police.
2: Oh! Oh yes! Yeah. Oh! See, I wasn't even thinking of that one. Yeah, but I mean, there are several of those. This is not. It's not just one crazy person.
0: But yeah, people are. People have taken photos of this guy driving down the street and like. But this this particular incident, I have never seen on Twitter or Facebook, or read in the press or heard people like mainstream voices, which I consider Rush Limbaugh to be mainstream. Uh mainstream voices like Rush Limbaugh say that this is just a false flag. Like Alex Jones has really like taken over the the Alex Jones mindset of everything's a false flag. I don't trust it. It's all fake news. And so I really think that the the pursuit of Alex Jones banning him has given more credence to Alex Jones and people take it more seriously because look they're taking people like Liberty memes off of Facebook. They're taking Alex Jones off of everything. They're removing the guy's uh, ability to take money or make money. You know, they're taking they're taking Facebook friends off like me for thirty days for for alleged hate speech. You know, it, so it's like these little things where it, it just kind of confirms the narrative. And away we go. And so, when something like this does happen, where the timing is suspicious, and the guy does look suspicious, and there are these little things that, when Tad Western posts the um, the four chan photo shots and the diagrams, you go, "Yeah, I kind of believe it," because these guys are all scumbags. They're okay. all the the press is all liars.
2: Yeah, it's I don't know. It some of it has to be that echo chamber effect, but I, I think. When you have somebody who is screaming, they're going, you know, they're trying to silence me. They're trying to silence me, and then you go, okay, well, we're going to silence you. You know, how can you not lend credence to it? But you know, I I think it would have helped if they had been um, more clear. I mean, that's one of the things that has been pointed out so many times is they keep banning people, they keep taking pages down, and uh, they're not really being clear on why. It's like, oh, inauthentic accounts or. Um, you know, they'll, they'll send you one specific thing, you know, a screenshot of something that you did wrong, but you know, there's no warning. There's no, there's no clarification. So I don't know how you're going to expect uh, better behavior out of that. Yeah, I mean, that's just, I'm a nanny. That's basic how you deal with children. If there's a bad behavior, you can't just punish the bad behavior and expect the person to guess at what they need to fix. You have to make sure that they understand this is the action that led to this result. So don't do that again if you don't want that to happen.
0: When Liberty Memes has no idea why they're banned, then it, it to me it's just It's, it's really hard to say yeah.
2: you know to not say oh it's ideological.
0: Because what does Facebook think that uh, an account with 600,000 likes doesn't have some other network attached to it that isn't going to be able to get the word out that they've been banned for no reason and that looks suspicious? Yeah. It's just bad business. Like Facebook Facebook is an incredible product that has changed the world for the good and bad and yet it still does some of the dumbest stuff I've ever seen a company do.
2: Well, but they also have to consider their customers that aren't libertarians. Um, You know, as much as we can say, well, how could you just do that and expect it to not have, you know, backlash, I'm I'm sure there was some considered and weighed... Decision-making there. I'm sure they said, well, if we don't do anything, if we continue to allow this to happen, then we're going to get, you know, the backlash of more people saying that we're spreading disinformation. We might lose more users from that, you know. Maybe it's just that we're not that as important of a community as we had maybe hoped we were But, um, well you know, it, you're stuck in this back and forth. You're either, it's proving that, oh, yes, we are clearly, you know, a threat, or it's saying that, like, no, even... Even the problems, or you know, even the backlash of silencing you is not that bad,
0: right? Um, you know, as I see, like the, the the Gab stuff going across the media. Do you, I consider I consider the uh, language being used around conspiracy theory and hate speech? Conspiracy theory, right now, it's like it, you listen to Vox podcasts, like I do you know you I listened to the 538 podcast about this this week and it was just Ezra Klein saying conspiracy theory conspiracy theory conspiracy theory about things that are not conspiracy theories it's just it's things that he doesn't like and so he just turns it into hate speech and you're just like no, see, so you're abusing that actual term. You're abusing that, and so it loses its power. And then people go, "Okay, well, everything's a conspiracy theory." Like they don't seem to understand the the, the tit for tat that the, that goes on here.
2: Yeah, I you know I actually I recently had a conversation with a friend um, about this kind of rhetoric and the way that this goes, where you have these these big, um, very heavy words that are used, you know, and thrown around just as a reason to dismiss something or a reason to ignore someone um you know the actually the example that she had used was a a meme that she was showing which thought was hilarious that she said uh on one side it says the right says we want genocide and the left says no genocide the center says come on guys you need to you need to compromise the right says okay how about some genocide left says no still no genocide center (laughs) says see this is why nobody likes you guys right and So we then had a conversation about like, yeah, but the problem here is that you just assigned genocide as the policy positions of the right. Right. You don't think that that maybe is a little bit extreme and maybe undermines the seriousness of genocide.
0: Ben Shapiro was talking about this about immigration today, and he said, you know, this is some advice for my libertarian leaning friends who think uh, who are open borders people and and liberals. So the reason that Trump keeps winning on immigration is that you guys say there's no problem. Well, you have to admit that there's some problem, that there is some some issue going on. And basically his point was because a lot of people think that, and this was a former co-host's position always, is that until libertarians fix their messaging and a.k.a. philosophy on open borders, they're never going to win, yeah. and, and which I f- firmly disagree. You just figure out how to message it better. Um, yeah.
2: I, the one time uh, recently that I had to defend open borders, actually on a radio show, I was really encouraged by uh, one of the other panelists. Paused and he goes, oh, wow. So like libertarians care about like everyone's freedom, not just Americans. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. That's, you know, a radical idea, though.
0: What libertarians have to understand is that immigration like being an American is a key part of everyone's identity in this country or most people mm-hmm. like we have a very distinct view of nationalism and nationality and we don't like the pledge because it's propaganda we don't like the flag or we don't like the not the flag but the yeah you, you see people calling it the sky cloth even or, you know, but most people have not thought about it in the way that libertarians have thought about it. And so, being an American, having said the pledge every day before school and seeing the national anthem waved before moments that they were with their family at sporting events where amazing moments with their family took place, like uh, that they talk about for years to come, like the nationalism, uh, being an American, I guess I would say, is a key part of their identity. And so, when you say there should be no there should be no borders they hear there should be no huge piece of my identity and so they react to it very negatively and so you have to explain why like what what is the greater purpose what is the piece of identity that you will retain You have to you have to really think of it when you're making arguments and when we're crafting the arguments for these programs we really try to think about how do people think about this what is the most effective argument that's going to get someone to change their mind and think about it in different terms, you know? And so I think libertarians well, just go... the assumption
2: that leftists often make that kind of, I think, is the argument that, you, that it works, that it needs to be made, but they assume that everybody's already there, is you have to get them to identify as, you know, humans, as right. uh, you know this greater, okay, yes, you can still have this identity as your Americans, but that doesn't mean that we don't all identify also as people.
0: Right. So I think we message it sometimes as this is just the correct way to believe about this is the correct way to think and if you don't like it then you're an idiot and that's just not effective for most people but um it sure feels good sure sure uh <laughs> so so yeah back to um but but shapiro was basically saying is that when you just continually deny that there's a problem trump goes well there is a problem no there's no problem no this is a big issue no there's no problem this is a crisis." Uh, no you're you're an idiot there's no problem here look and any 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 that might you know so it just becomes when you it, and when you're not i think what he was trying to say is when you're not willing to compromise or admit or bring something to the table then it just feeds that other side's tit for tat mm-hmm. and so that's that's the opposite, opposite argument and that's what i see going on with the media like uh, we'll talk about Donald Trump first uh, and here in a second how much Trump is to blame. But first I want to talk about um, the media's kind of tit for tat with some of this stuff. I want to, to play this piece, Brian Stelter and see it at CNN. He is the media reporter formerly. He started a TV newser and then got hired to replace Howard Kurtz as the media observer over at CNN after Howard Kurtz said something that was, uh, uh, I don't know if it was racist or what, but now he's at Fox news and he and Oliver Darcy, the two media reporters there, I, I just never seen two guys argue against free speech harder in my life. <laughs> and Steltzer was somebody that I just always watched, and I was like, "That'd be a fun job." He's really, I really like his take on things. And then now Trump has driven him so crazy. Alex Jones has driven him so crazy. Like all Brian Steltzer does is appear on CNN and the and he does anti Fox News reports. And it's so nakedly one network trying to lower the position of their number one competitor that it's obvious. Like, just just listen to this, and let's kind of break this down as we go along. Sarah, if you hear something that you want to kind of go, ah, oh, I've got a point about that, just kind of speak up. So this is... The uh, president
3: is now blaming the media for the anger behind this, and society saying, in part, it's caused what he calls... The anger around the packages, I should say. ...caused by, rather, purposely false and inaccurate reporting of the mainstream media... Here with us now is CNN Business media correspondent and host of Reliable Sources, Brian Stelter. You know, you know the blame conversation. It, it, there goes the liberal media again.
2: Yeah, they're actually playing the victim card, uh, engaging in victimhood
1: politics, saying that uh, because people are talking about how Trump's rhetoric is a problem, that somehow he's being blamed for these bombs, and as a
2: result, he's the victim of this. Look, it's nonsense. What I'm wondering, Jim and Poppy, is where's the president? Where's the president today? Because that guy on Twitter. So Brian
0: Stelter says <laughs> it's nonsense that Donald Trump is being blamed, and then immediately transitions into Where's the president? Why is he not? And he starts blaming Trump for not leading, not doing. I mean, and it's not that his criticism isn't necessarily wrong because Donald Trump does play the victim.
2: And yeah, both sides do at this point.
0: Exactly right, and and it's not that Donald Trump isn't the victim. Like there was a headline in the group about something i don't know what it was but it was a couple days ago in the we are libertarians group which you can join at we are libertarians.com and it was it was shocking because it was when the the it was a cnn headline that actually lined up with the truth it was super anti-trump oh i remember this. yes it was about him denying the constitution can you look that up it was about the 14th amendment you can do you can do a search in the group but like the person posted it in the group basically saying look CNN is being anti-trump again and i just commented like no they actually got this one right it's super anti-trump but they're right he's wrong you know and and you just you like look at it from a not like an objective perspective and cnn's just not even trying anymore like they are just anti-trump anti-republican anti-conservative most of the media is that way at the new york times the washington post a lot of um, the flotation between the liberal clickbait blogosphere, like HuffPo and Raw Story, into CNN, into the New York Times, into the what? Like it's 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 the same kind of pool of people, and they all write. Very, they all have a very center left perspective, which is you know needed in society. But then they use conspiracy theory and hate speech and all these other things to detract. But and, and, and it creates this environment where Donald Trump is to blame for everything. It's become the left's version of thanks, Obama. <laughs> and that's kind of where we're at right now.
2: Well, it allows them to avoid actually having to have a discussion about policy because, you know, that you actually have to discuss what you're going to do. When be, neither side really wants to do anything.
0: No, that'd be bad television. TV mm-hmm. news especially is it's about good television. And uh, yeah,
2: it's it's stopped long ago being about a discussion of ideas or you know how you can solve anything it's just trying to highlight whatever is the scariest thing or the most exciting thing or whatever is going to get you emotionally worked up and get you to pay attention more
0: the headline was trump claims he can defy constitution and end birthright citizenship
2: yeah that's exactly what he claimed
0: that's exactly what he claimed i said lol well,
2: you don't need to uh sensationalize that anymore.
0: Right. But they tried and LOL when the slanted headline finally matches his actions. Uh so so he does you kind of go even as a a non-Trump voter, a never Trumper, you kind of go God, if we were in that position, it'd be the same treatment. That's always been my position. It's like, watch how Donald Trump is treated. Libertarian. Gary Johnson would be treated the same way. It would be, here's how he is a racist, a bigot, a homophobe. He's an evil white man. Like, I, I just, I look at it and I go, they're going to pull out. I don't know what. what.
2: Yeah, but the right does the same thing to the left. I mean, I, I, this is just, I, I I watched all the North Carolina Republicans do this right. through Obama's entire presidency. Um, I mean, I cannot tell you how many times people would be like, I'm not racist, and then compare him to an ape. <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> I don't know what it is about me. I, like, I have this thing where all through Obama, I was very anti-Republican. And now that Trump is president, I'm very anti-Democrat. And I think it's because... You're a
2: contrarian?
0: Maybe. But it's also that I hate liars and manipulation. And I think there's just this thing that when... When a party is out of power, they start taking things so far beyond the reality that it's just like as a as a thinking person, you go, "Okay, you're trying to manipulate people. Quit being an ass bag." Yeah. So let's continue with Little Brian Stelzer on CNN. Uh-huh.
3: That's a Fox News host. That guy railing against the media, that's a Fox News host. That's not the president. So, Brian... The president hasn't shown leadership in the last few hours. He did say some nice things yesterday... But then he turned around and went yep. against
2: the media again. Yeah. So, Brian,
3: sorry to jump in, but we just have some sound from the White House that I want to get our viewers Addressing this these morning. Questions. Do you believe that the president bears any responsibility for what we've seen over
2: the past two days? And does he regret any of the comments that he's made about his opponents? Or does he at least regret the tone that he's taken? Look, the up? president's uh, condemned violence in all forms
0: has done that since day one. will continue to do that, but certainly uh, feels that everyone has a role to play. He's, he's calling yeah. for us. Thought- I'm
2: sorry. I always found that funny they they continued claims of of uh, trump he has uh denied violence he has condemned it uh except for when it's funny then right then we will encourage it
0: (laughs) yeah so we you and i kind of uh, we didn't have a back and forth but you were kind of countering and i thought you were right Uh, donald trump's you know he he definitely said some violent stuff yeah i I
2: think you can acknowledge that trump says things that he clearly did not think before saying, sure. uh, and he probably shouldn't say, and that, yeah, people who are not in the right mindset could take in a bad way, uh, but I don't necessarily think that that needs to be taken to the extreme of being like, therefore, he holds personal responsibility. You know, yes, he could be one of several factors, and any individual person who was already predisposed to an act of mass violence would have found somebody else to latch on to, but, you know see maybe it didn't have to be the president
0: right because in the in the case of the shooter he says on gab that he because of um uh, so the new york times podcast um i i highly recommend it the past like week or so Uh, like some of the ones about anti-semitism like really stuff that i had kind of watched like the three parentheses I, i had always seen that but i didn't really know what the origin of that was and uh, one of the reporters talks about it. And I thought that anti-Semitism episode was really interesting. And they talked ab- about, um, about some of this stuff. And uh, so they were talking about um, what motivated this guy. And so in the Jewish community, a certain group is well-known for um, trying to help refugees. Uh, I forget. It's H-I-A-S. Uh, but I don't have that in the notes. What that actually stands for? I think it's the Hebrew something, uh, Hebrew
2: International Aid Society. Yes, I think. thank
0: you. And so, given their history, the Jew, the Jewish population in America is very um, ready to help refugees of any kind because their history is very. The, one of the beautiful things about the Jewish religion is their act of remembering. They remember the the, the, the thing that I love about that religion. That I wish all all societies would adopt is that they take points of their history and they remember things that happened. And so that's why we have a very clear um, scripture from from them, for instance, over t- thousands of years. And, you know, obviously being refugees, this group was helping the migrant caravan. And so this guy said, screw your optics, I'm going in. And about five minutes later was actually inside Um, shooting up the synagogue. It was a baby naming ceremony, a bris, and 11 people were killed. And uh, they talk about some of the people that were killed in that podcast and some of the beautiful, um, some of the just amazing people that lost their lives that day uh, on that particular podcast. But, uh, you know, the fallout of this stuff, it's like you look at it and as an American, you feel horrible for those people and uh, you want to grieve it, but then people immediately veer into trying to steer it into their own political camp, and I include the media in that. And you just kind of go, it, it's it's um, trying to take these three incidents of people who clearly have mental health issues. And yes, this this guy shot people because of the caravan caravans supposedly, you know. Um, but that to me isn't a very stable person, and so. When I hear Donald Trump is to blame for all the violent rhetoric in society, I roll my eyes a lot. You know, yes, he said stuff like, I'll pay for the lawyer back in 2016, but it's like 2018 at this point. We're almost into 2019, and at some point... How
2: recent was that comment about, like, did you see what he did with that reporter?
0: Yeah, but (laughs) listen,
2: I guess... Again, only when it's funny.
0: I, I get it, and I think you're totally right, and he... He should not say that, and we'll talk a little bit about um, a command climate in a moment. But here's the thing with uh, Trump. I guess I don't, I'm not afraid of him. And I think there are too many people that are afraid of this guy because they have an un, they have a, they don't have a, this this is the problem with a lack of civic education in the United States. People are afraid, and people don't have an understanding of how things work, and so they think that the president has an out, Outweighed. Uh, he, he has way more effect on their life than he actually does.
2: Yeah. You know, I, I think part of the part of the reaction, though, is that like you're asking, like, why? How? Why does this um, become something that we have to politicize so quickly? Um, just I was just thinking about it. It's it's one of those things that you, in order to kind of wrap your head around the shooting fully, it, it quickly takes you to where are your views on very political topics? So yes, it's a horrible thing, but like it's, it's even more horrible. This is a person who he was not just being anti-Semitic, but he had a problem with people who were helping other immigrants. Um, And that quickly leaves you to like, well, is that something that you find understandable or not? And I can, I, I, I don't know. I find it difficult to not have that go to a political place.
0: Yeah. Uh, and then there's also the use of a gun. Um, yeah. And, and Trump stepped in it wrong place, wrong time, saying the truth, which is had they ha- had they had armed guards, this would have ended very quickly. There was an incident in a McDonald's. That- yeah,
2: but you know what we? It, you can't have armed guards everywhere, and if you do, is that really a society that you want to live in?
0: Well, but the, the, so did you hear about the McDonald's shooting?
2: Uh, is this the the uh, black couple who was shot?
0: No, that was Kroger. So That, that was that, Kroger. I'm sorry. Yeah, so this was in. Uh, so it, th- that was the third incident that they were talking about in that piece earlier. A uh, guy, a uh, few days before the bomber was caught, was going to a black church to shoot it up uh, because he was anti black and uh, ended up going to a Kroger because he couldn't get in. They had locked the doors and uh, they had security. And so he went to Kroger's and he killed a black couple. Um, this was in Alabama on October 29th from time. The title is Customer Shoots and Kills Masked Gunman in Alabama, McDonald's. Uh, McDonald's customer is being called a hero after he shot and killed a masked gunman who, gunman, uh, who opened fire inside one of the fast food chain restaurants in Alabama. Uh, the shootout happened at the McDonald's, uh, 15 shots in total. All we hear is like different uh, gunfire said one employee. So in my mind, everybody's dead. A man wearing a mask barged into the restaurant began shooting at the manager who was locking doors on Saturday night. Uh, a man who was leaving the McDonald's with his two sons then drew out his own gun and shot the masked man who later died at a local hospital. Uh, so here's an incidence of somebody who is armed in a society where everyone has uh, the ability to protect themselves and their their immediate surroundings well, and and he was able to, um, to prevent a further loss of life besides the perpetrator. So, you
2: know, yes, it's great when you have you know the ability to open carry. I mean, we definitely have issues with gun-free zones, but in this case, you're talking about a religious service. What's I the, mean, you're talking about a situation in which people are going to uh, you know intentionally being unarmed. So,
0: um, I, I, it's another kind that's, of cruelty. Uh, yeah, but I, I think synagogues. Um, I listened specifically to Ben Shapiro on Monday to see what he said. He was talking about how you know his um, every synagogue, every Jewish school. It's just it's a way of life for Jews, and that Mm. that that everywhere they go, every religious, almost every synagogue has armed guards. Has you know the synagogue here in Indianapolis? There's only a couple, and uh, some kid from uh, actually from Reinhold's hometown drove up to the synagogue. And drew a swastika on it, you know, and so 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 the the reality is that violence is going to happen in the human animal and it doesn't matter where you're at. You should have the ability to protect yourself and your community. And I don't think that uh, a religious zone makes that any less necessary. In fact, I think it makes it more necessary because it's a large gathering of people and and it and it shouldn't be that way. But that's just the reality of living in the world at any point in human history now or in the future or in the past so um I guess
2: that yeah that could really just comes down to the you know the is ought should issue there is you know is this the society that you want to perpetuate
0: I don't think that it is a matter of perpetuation I think it's a matter of being realistic uh I think there there's two services like the black church this week and then also the jewish synagogue i think that's just how it is i think
2: well okay but this is this is the idea behind terrorism terrorism works when you're terrorized into changing your behavior sure when you're when you're made to act like you're not safe at any given time like i mean harry it was- is taken a lot to just be comfortable like walking to my car through a well-lit area and not having to like prepare to take down an attacker because realistically like that's fairly low chances and if that was going to happen I probably was not going to be able to protect myself anyways that's the difference between you know how much of it is accepting reality like yes there's a reality that you're always at risk no matter what you do but how much of a risk is that how much of a risk are you willing to pretend there is well, this is
0: an argument that I have with Harry. That I make the point that you're making, and Harry makes the point I'm making. Uh, I make the point that we're, we're we're safer than we've ever been in human history. Like life is better than it's ever been. We're going to talk about the history of political violence in America. It's never, but that
2: still doesn't change the fact that every human interaction involves risk. You can sure. never zero out that risk.
0: See, now you sound like Harry. Harry's Harry's like you have no idea how in danger you are all the time. You should oh like Harry. Harry's so paranoid, Sarah. I
2: I just believe in conscious risk taking, like risk aware, be aware that everything that you are doing is risky and therefore you're never fully safe, but you are safe. Right. Like you have to take a risk every time, but you're also taking the risk that like you're a really good person.
0: Harry claims that I should call the police and tell them that we're doing a live stream every single time we live stream because someone could crank call a bomb threat and the police will knock on my door and kill us while we're doing the show. And I go, Harry. There are limits to being paranoid. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm paranoid, but that's ridiculous. Uh, yeah. So, so w- yeah.
2: I mean, like I I had this conversation with my husband. You know, we live in a very safe, very small town. Like I've I've looked up, you know, the crime rates and everything, and it's it's one of those places that's so small that like the crime rate looks like very standard. Mm-hmm. So that's only because there's very few people that, and there were like two property crimes. Right. So, you know, we've had debates about, you know, it's okay to go and walk somewhere by yourself. You know, it's okay to walk a couple blocks even in the evening. Yeah. You know, it's very safe, but it's hard to get past that. Uh,
0: I forget what I was listening to, but they were talking about that mentality where um it's the idea of free-range children, for instance. Oh yeah. You, you probably know all about it. Tell tell us about free-range children.
2: So, it's it's kind of the opposite of, of helicopter parenting. So one of the things that's really uh, emphasized now and and even made legally required in a lot of ways is you have to kind of be tethered to a child at all times. Um, this it causes so many issues developmentally because it's really important that kids um, learn how to be independent and learn how to make good decisions on their own. So free-range parenting is, is just the idea that, like, you can allow kids to be kids and you have to give them uh, – some freedom Uh, it's letting kids walk to a park you know if you've got a 10 year old and an eight year old and a six year old they can all walk down the street to a park and play by themselves um, and they don't necessarily require adult supervision but in some places you know that's considered child neglect and that can get you arrested
0: yeah we did we did an episode if you look free range children up in the feed you'll see an episode about uh, parent, parents who let their kids kids walk to the park and they got their kids taken away by CP, CPS.
2: Oh, let me tell you about leaving a child in the car. This is the personal experience here. How's so that I, <laughs> I am, uh, I have, right now I usually have two two-year-olds and uh, I have a three-year-old that I have to pick up from preschool. So when I have only one two-year-old, it's perfectly easy to just pop the kid out of the car, carry him, throw him in a quick stroller and go in and get the three-year-old and come back out. But when I have um, two kids, it's exponentially more difficult to get two two-year-olds out of a car into a stroller into a building, get a three-year-old and then get everybody back out and back into the car. It, it easily triples the amount of time. Right. Um. So being absolutely terrified the first few times I, I did this, I made the conscious decision to acknowledge that, okay, they are safe. We are in a preschool parking lot. We are in a very well, you know, it's, it's fenced in even like, and this is a, pretty much the safest place that they could be. I had a car that has, you know, remote starts. So if it's too hot, I can make sure to have the air conditioner on. If it's too cold, I can, you know, have the heat on it. That way they would always be comfortable. I wouldn't have to worry about like an overheated child, but I was so scared of coming back and having somebody like called the cops or broken a window because they decided it was unsafe that I left the kids in the car for the two minutes that it required me to walk in and get the third child. Right. Um, I didn't have any issues with it, but like that is such an ingrained fear. And when we're talking about like acknowledging reality, you kind of have to go to that. Okay. But which reality here are we reinforcing? Are we reinforcing the reality where it is a risk and a terrible thing every time that you leave your child in a car for any period of time, because somebody could kidnap that child. Somebody could kill the child. Somebody could, you know, the child could overheat your, your, the child could choke on something. Yeah. there's a lot of things that could happen, but are they likely to happen? You know, what could happen if you take the child inside? The child could trip. The child could still choke on something. Um, you know there are risks with both decisions, and you have to consciously decide, okay, it's actually safer and more convenient for everybody if I leave you in the car for two minutes than if I go through a 20-minute production to get you out and put you back in.
0: Yeah. That, I, it was the SAS interview where he talked about that, where it, we, it, it goes back to that thing where we take these little data points where we take a synagogue shooting or we, we take a, a kidnapping. Kidnappings have never been lower. Um, and, but and,
2: technology allows us to know about every single Every single thing.
0: And so the anxiety of modern society is killing us. And mm-hmm. for the first time ever, for the last three years, the more, like, what, what, what did he say? Um, the, the life expectancy or it was some, some, some data point where people aren't living as long or are dying earlier or something. Um, it, it, it basically came down to uh, deaths are increasing around um, despair,
2: Oh, yeah. Deaths of despair.
0: Deaths of despair, where it's, you know, it's drug use or it's suicide. And so things are increasing because people are increasingly miserable. And so what he talks about in this interview is the fact particularly
2: unemployed white men in former manufacturing uh, sectors.
0: Exactly right. And, uh, you know, he talks about the 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 reason that all of these problems are increasing in society is that people are increasingly more lonely. And so as we see the breakdown of the family, as we see the breakdown of communities of worship, of, you know, even neighborhoods. I mean, think about how many of you know your neighbors. Uh, Oh, my
2: God. Just the depressing story of trick-or-treating last night. We got all ready for trick-or-treaters and we do this every year. We know we're getting trick-or-treaters. Some years we'll get like one or two. Right. But I realize now it's because we have a... A, you know a town sanctioned trick-or-treating where basically everybody goes two blocks away from us into the middle of the town and they just hand out candy like in a line to kids this
0: dumb ass mother effing trunk or treat
2: it, it has completely destroyed the whole concept of community behind trick-or-treating like you are supposed to go up to your neighbors and invade their space and get to know them in their home and get candy from them it's
0: conditioning for you and your kids to get comfortable with those uh-huh. that, and to to be nosy and peek inside their door
2: you know make little comments to each other get to know each other. i mean right i i know uh not I, bull- one of my dad's favorite trick-or-treating stories is he tells um there was a kid who was like trick-or-treating with his dad who was a, he knew he was a town cop and he made sure to give him like two full-size candy bars and he says see we always make sure to to give the officers a little bit more and he goes See, that's important. You know, they're just joking back and forth that way. But right. that's an interaction that you can't have or you won't have necessarily if you don't have those little, you know, traditions. I think this is thing. this
0: is the perfect act of rebellion for this office, uh, uh, audience. If your community has trunk or treat.
2: Oh, you go trick or treating.
0: If you if your town tells you the t- town that I work in sent out a text message at 11 on Monday night and saying we're doing it Tuesday night instead of Wednesday night because there might be a little rain. When my oh. when my nieces were going out trick or treating, it was perfectly fine out. A- a- and I remember going when there was rain, there was nothing I wrong with I've my rain. ass
2: off plenty of years. Come it's, on, weather's not a thing. Yes.
0: So when your town says you're doing trunk or treat, you tell them go F yourself. We're not doing trunk or treat. I'm not letting this communism infiltrate my community. Oh, let me
2: tell you about fun things town do. So Uh. there's another town near us. um, And one town in Virginia, actually, that took it to a whole other level um, that regulates the trick or treating. So there is trick or treating, but no trick or treating if you are um, over 12. So 13 and up, as soon as you're a teenager, you are not allowed to trick or treat. And if you do, uh, it is punishable by, um, in, at least in there's in Virginia, it is an actual town ordinance that it is punishable by up to, I think a $50 fine or, um, like a couple days in jail.
0: We use shame in my neighborhood. When yeah. I went trick or treating at 14, one of the neighbors said, aren't you a little too old for this? And then the next one said it. And then the next one said it. See, and that's when I realized I was too old to do it. A
2: girl is that we just get, uh, do you have anybody that you're taking trick or treating?
0: Yeah, you you can you can set up an Amazon wish list and still go trick or treating. That's the <laughs> so I I think that if your church does trunk or treat, like sometimes churches do things because they want to foster, they want to promote the community, bring people to the church parking lot, do trunk or treat.
2: But they're pulling people out of the community. they're pulling
0: people out of the community, and you need to be a voice saying stop. We need we need to be in the community, not bring people here, but actually go out into the world. Same with delivering meals to homeless people. Stop that. Mm-hmm. Give the meals to Wheeler Mission or or your local homeless shelter who are equipped to handle it. Uh, so we've drifted off. Let's let's move back to the question of um, Donald Trump. How complicit is he in uh, the violent rhetoric that goes on? Uh, I've made my point. I don't I don't feel that he is. I feel that uh, We're
2: in the violence or in the violent rhetoric. Uh,
0: in, in this particular violence, I don't I don't see any like the caravan thing is an unfortunate coincidence the, these people are crazy these are these are wackos who are trying to uh, they have pathologies they're not mm-hmm. they're not trying maybe they're trying to make themselves famous but they're they're sick individuals and that's what you see in a lot of these mass shootings is these are people with pathologies that it doesn't matter whatever you blame it on that is the circumstance it's their broken brain that make them do it but when it comes to the rhetoric around politics today I do think Trump bears, like any president, he bears responsibility um, from a top-down perspective. I think Donald, I think Barack Obama, for instance, um,
2: they're responsible for how they use the bully pulpit, if nothing yeah, else. Like, like Barack Obama used,
0: um, he used shame and he used mocking uh, a lot. If if you didn't agree with him, then you were he would mock you. He would, and this is a very alinsky Mm -hmm. alinsky tactic that he writes about you know trump um does pretty much the same thing i mean he and that's what he does is he mocks people and so the left reacts just the way that the right did when barack obama did it uh with uh outrage (laughs) it is
2: delightful seeing just these little mirrors
0: (laughs) yes exactly
2: they hate it when you say that
0: so how much do you think that trump is to blame for rhetoric today like what's the percentage or how would you quantify it
2: I mean, I—he's definitely more, um, I not mean, necessarily violent, but like uh, aggressive in his in his language. But there's, you know, the mocking. You you're right on with that. That, you know, it's this issue of both sides. Whoever's in power has the ability to, you know, to put you down to make you feel small because they're the one who's big.
0: Yeah, and it works. I mean, here in Indiana, yeah. here in Indiana, the um, the most effective reason that people wouldn't vote for rupert bonum in 2012 for governor was that he had a beard i can't vote for somebody for governor because he has a beard and so i got my revenge this year when mike oh how
2: many times did you hear but what is aleppo i just i
0: can't (sighs) like at least that was a failure of some substance and policy as opposed to a facial hair yeah um you know, but Mike Braun here in Indiana is running for Senate, and the guy doesn't ever wear a suit to the debates. He's like the only candidate that's never worn a suit in the in the statewide debates. He he dresses in a blue shirt; it's his thing. He is always in that blue shirt; that's like his calling card for whatever reason, and it's widely mocked. And he has transition lenses, and so during the televised debates, I make I, I make the point in various humorous ways that he disrespects voters by not dressing up for the part. And it drives Republicans out of their mind, and and because I this little superfluous, they're like, who cares? Who cares? Who cares? It's like, well, who cares that Rupert had a beard? Like a congressman's wife you care apparently brought it up, mm. um, and so. So making fun of his transition lenses and his blue shirt and that he doesn't wear a suit and he can't afford a suit because the Koch brothers wouldn't buy him one just makes all these Republicans that follow me jump on me which then makes libertarians jump on them and and Democrats too like and well,
2: but you know it's you're I hate to say this but I mean that's you're practicing hypocrisy at that point and I realize that you're doing it you know to absolutely. point out the humor of of that hypocrisy but like in doing so you're also being a hypocrite
0: of course I am, but I'm making the choice to be a hypocrite, and I and I fully admit that. But the point is, is that it is it is the only thing that works. So at a certain point, libertarians have to have to uh, think to themselves: Do I want to be effective and win elections, and how much am I willing to sacrifice versus uh, just like I could sit there and I could tweet out all night Lucy's policy positions, and I could tweet out insightful commentary that is polite about Mike Braun or Joe Donnelly, and no one's going to give a shit. But you make fun of a guy's transition lenses, and then all of a sudden, 50 people go, yeah, he did. He really does disrespect voters by not wearing a suit. Mm-hmm. And so then you've started to sway the electorate for your candidate. I'm not the one who made the environment.
2: You have to make an appeal to emotion at some point. A-
0: exactly right. And so would I make fun of Mike Braun's transition lenses to his face? Absolutely. Are there other things that I think about? I feel Mike- like
2: that's key is, is don't don't say anything behind somebody's back that you wouldn't say to their face. Yes,
0: would I make fun of uh, Mike Braun's intelligence? I don't think he's a very bright man, and so I wouldn't because I wouldn't say that to his face. But something that is so over the top and stupid, like transition lenses, which I don't really care. Like it's <laughs> like you look at it and you go, "That's so dumb," but then all of a sudden people get mad about it and. And so I did it kind of as an experiment to see how effective it would be in a local race like this. And it was so painful because it was so effective in getting fellow Twitter people to vote in polls and to start to mimic the same talking point over and over, over something that is so easily graspable. Because if we start getting into politics, and so one Republican was just like, this is just outrageous, you're just... Practicing this way, this way, and they have like MAGA all over their Facebook wall. I'm like, are you kidding me? I'm just doing to Republicans the same thing that you've done to other people. Why are you mad about it? Why are you being a hypocrite?
2: Well, because we're supposed to be. I don't know. I feel like that's part of the libertarian rhetoric is that we're above this. Fuck like that. But, you know, I I'm with you that you know that's yeah. kind of one of those. Well, that's why you don't win. Do you want to win or do you, you want to you be above it? Yeah. yeah, yeah. When it comes to you know political tactics, as much as we want to have these high-minded ideologies. At some point, you have to kind of get ap- – you have to get amoral about it.
0: Yeah. I mean, I genuinely think that he's disrespecting voters, and I'm saying it in a way that I think is funny.
2: It, it definitely does sometimes make you cringe using tactics that you know are successful because you're like, I hate that this works on people.
0: Yep. You know, it, it, and so if, if I didn't think that it was a serious point, that I wouldn't say it. Like, I – like the transition lenses thing is just funny to me because like uh, yeah, a, I'm
2: just picturing it. It yeah,
0: but and so he's on the debate lights, yeah, and then all of a sudden they get dark and you're just like what? Yeah. Um, but
2: I wear myself.
0: <laughs> but I fully admit that it's hypocritical. But at the end of the day, we're in the middle of a campaign, and I want Lucy to beat her record from 2016, and I want right. Lucy to win. And I don't think that either one of them should be elected. There is. Um so there's been three
2: there's nothing to spoil here.
0: There's three mailers that have been sent out by the Democratic Party uh, calling uh, the tax hike King of Indiana and uh, he voted for all these tax hikes and then it promotes Lucy Brenton, the libertarian candidate here in Indiana and it's paid for by the Indiana Democrats. And so the Republicans are losing their mind over it and demanding that libertarians denounce it and uh, and why I just, it's true. And I just went on and I said name one thing on that flyer that's wrong. There's Mm -hmm. nothing on it that's wrong. I make no apologies for being a libertarian.
2: Oh, you know, oh, I'll have to talk to I'll have to talk to the LP Indiana about this. You should really you should do a fact check and just confirm everything on um (laughs) everything that's been stated
0: you should jared's all over it talk to him but yeah (laughs) i'm
2: like i like jared we got that's
0: that's the thing like jared and i were on this former senate candidate's thread who's a republican going this is despicable libertarian should denounce it and uh i said i fully embrace it and endorse it and i make no apologies because there's nothing on it that's wrong and and then we started posting pictures of of gop tiers buckets <laughs> like, you know and because I, to make a very specific point to all those watching make no apologies for being a libertarian you shouldn't make apologies for it and that is one thing that donald trump i think has taught me is that you, you need may to, have
2: to make a lot of explanations you may have but. to
0: yeah you you have to be tough at a certain point you can't make apologies for not being popular you know, and as a person who is a natural people pleaser, I sometimes want to go. I'm sorry. I know this isn't like, but it's really helpful. And th- and that to me is nonsense. I'm happy that Lucy Brenton has three and hopefully six more mailers coming in your mailbox here in Indiana. And I don't care who paid for it, like because at the end of the day, it helps a person who should be senator and hurts a person who should not. And I make no apologies for it. I make no apologies for the fact that I support Lucy Brenton and neither well, should you.
2: Well, and just kind of, you know, back to the whole, it's it's just one hypocrisy after the other is I, I know I, I like political mailers. I always ask people to just save me whatever political mailers you get, because, you no, know, there is something to be said about there's no such thing as bad press, you know, especially even even when it comes to, you know, political mailers. If you got people who are in the middle or who are even on your side, your negative or attack mailers may not necessarily play out the way that your opponent intends them to. You know, sometimes they can still read, you know, with the people that you need votes for to your advantage. Right. Uh, and, And both parties know this. Like, you hear Republicans all the time laughing about like, oh, yeah, did you see this Democratic mailer they sent out and how much it makes people like us more? Okay, well, now you're just pissed that somebody else is benefiting.
0: Yeah. Uh, one thing that was brought up on our – we have a weekly um, call with our co-hosts and writers, and one of our guys, who shall go name nameless, uh, mentioned the command climate. He's in the military, and I never heard this, and he goes, this is where Donald Trump fails because Donald Trump is responsible because he fails uh, to be a good uh, commander. He fails to be a good leader. And so I had him write some stuff up, and he actually pulled from the Army Doctrine, Army Regulation 600-100. The definition is it's an organizational climate. Uh, So the command climate is basically the attitude that the organization has because of the way that the leader operates. And uh, so the climate of an organization is how people interact within the culture of their peers, subordinates, and leaders – Observed policies and practices often drive climate, reflecting the leader's character. The greatest influence on an organization's climate is the quality of its leadership. The commander sets the example by establishing high standards and expectations for the organization and its members. The best commanders place a high priority on personally developing their subordinate leaders, caring for the welfare of soldiers, army civilians, and their families, while creating a rewarding climate of shared mutual trust and pride in team contributions to mission accomplishment. So I want you to think about Donald Trump and how he operates his staff, how you've heard him operate his business, and then how the, how the society is functioning under Donald Trump as a leader. As I read these six overarching characteristics of a healthy army culture and organizational climate, the organizational culture and unit climate fosters unity, cohesion, and trust in accordance with the army ethic. Sarah, do you think that Donald Trump embodies unity does he foster unity does he foster cohesion and does he foster trust
2: uh no i i think that's exactly counter to his his goals that doesn't work with his base
0: right uh (laughs) number two the culture promotes and rewards mental agility the (laughs) okay i love
2: the highly uneducated
0: (laughs) i know all the best words the ability to break from established paradigms recognize new patterns or circumstances and adopt new solutions to problems. Has Donald Trump fostered mental or reward, mental agility? Has he tried to recognize new patterns and find new solutions to the big problems of our day?
2: I think he tries to recognize new patterns, um, but I think he tends to default back to old solutions.
0: I think he thinks about things in terms of a pattern, like think yeah. if you want to know how yeah. Donald how Donald Trump views policy, think about nineteen forties and fifties movies.
2: Uh, yeah, I mean that's it is he's he's still in in a very Cold War mindset in a lot of ways, which is just weird in twenty eighteen.
0: This one's not terribly applica- uh, applicable. The organization uh, number three. The organization selects leaders and reward members who demonstrate the ability to sense and understand the environment quickly to exploit fleeting opportunities. Or counter unexpected threats. I think he's actually very good at this. Uh, f- exploit fleeting opportunities or counter unexpected threats. He did not expect that there would be a bomber. He was very frustrated that the bomber was making headlines. Then the shooting was a tragedy that he knew could overwhelm him days before. And so, what does he do early this week? First thing Monday morning, I want to overturn the Fourteenth Amendment by executive order.
1: Yeah,
2: you know, they tell me I can't do it, but I- I've been told I can. <laughs>
0: uh so i think he does that one well uh number four the culture requires and rewards delegation of authority on the part of leaders and the understanding and prompt thorough execution of leaders intent to levels up by subordinates so do you think that donald trump delegates authority to his leaders and do you think that the people who are operating in the executive executive branch have an understanding and a prompt thorough execution of donald trump's intents
2: yeah, I would say he he maybe thinks he delegates, but part of delegation is like you said is is accurate um, communication and clear understanding of goals and intentions. oh so, um, How many jobs does Jared Kushner have?
0: <laughs> Every single week in the New York Times, Maggie Haberman <laughs> reports about how nobody knows what's going on because Donald Trump will change his mind tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Number five, and he'll
2: change the person tomorrow.
0: Exactly. Number five, the organizational cur- culture selects and rewards leaders who provide clear priorities and focus their units, time, and organizational energy on their mission. And I think that the mission for most of the people surrounding Donald Trump are to please Donald Trump. So he may have named Yeah. That.
2: Yeah, it was, if he had a different mission, then I would say no. But I guess if that's the only mission, yeah.
0: Number six, the organizational culture is one of inclusion, which demands and values diversity of knowledge and perspectives that members of different groups bring and shapes how the mission is accomplished. So do you think, uh, like, you know, Mitch Daniels here, when he became governor, hired Mickey Mauer, a Democrat, to run the Commerce Division. He wanted to hire the best and brightest. George Bush, uh, you know, brought in a lot of people who, yeah, had worked with his dad, but there were also some people like Colin Powell who disagreed with a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, Barack Obama, I think, had some level of intellectual diversity. Uh,
2: I, I, you, you do find few people within the Trump administration who like can get away with disagreeing with him, right? But it's it's definitely not a rule. I mean, I'm I was impressed at how long Nikki Haley stuck around.
0: Yeah. Um. So. And I would say, um, well, let's continue on. The state of morale and level of satisfaction of members of an organization is the climate as, as it's defined. Um, so command cl- command climate is a reflection of units' members' perceptions about the unit, and creating a positive organizational climate is a core leader competency. And so I just don't think that Donald Trump is very competent as a leader, to be honest. And um you know, our, our, our researcher writes, a positive command climate is best described as an environment that fosters trust, open communication, and an overall positive mindset towards the mission at hand. The opposite of a positive command climate is always referred to as a toxic command climate. Within a toxic command climate, subordinates are typically micromanaged, belittled, there is no trust, there is no communication, and people dread coming to work. Uh, which has been said by people who have left the administration the mm-hmm. army puts a lot of emphasis on ensuring leaders create a positive command climate and it is believed as it is believed that the actions and attitude are a direct reflection of a leader um you know
2: he- toxic is a, is a really good and really important word there it's yeah. takes something that can be good and it's it corrupts it and makes it terrible
0: Uh, So he's he's saying, you know, I've seen the effect a brigade commander has on an organization of 4,500 soldiers as they start to embody his attitude. And so you have this group of people, and yes, we'd all like to think that the military is somehow more Borg-like than human beings, but let's be honest, your Aunt Donna's Facebook feed looks just like your Uncle Roy's. Mm -hmm. Um, I mentioned command climate because it is interesting to see the effect Trump has had on the Republican Party. He is also our commander in chief in the military, so his leadership has had an effect on our organization. The idea that the leader at the top sets the tone for the organization he leads is absolutely self-evident for me. I'd be very curious to look into the different climates set by Obama and Trump where they differed and what the effects are on the close circle of people the president works for. Uh, I would say that Barack Obama, I think, had a fairly poor ability to lead people um I think Bush had a little bit of a better uh ability to lead people because he had been a governor. I think there's something to be said for somebody who has been in the executive branch and then becomes president or is a business yeah. owner and so Donald Trump had like five employees i mean he really in 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 his uh in his corporate headquarters people who were very close to him so um, you know, I don't. I don't give Obama a lot of credit, but Obama was at least a little more in terms of tone steady. Um, yeah, but uh, regulation not as much. So, but I thought it was a very well, interesting I think, idea. I
2: think what what Obama was that I that Trump has has taken you know to the next level. There was is he wasn't he didn't view himself necessarily in that command role. Right. So in that role where you need to be you know you need to be an example. You need to show what kind of behavior you expect. He rather viewed himself as the figurehead. And when you're dealing with any company, you know, the job of of the CEO and the job of the spokesperson are not necessarily the same. And a lot of times you don't want them to be the same person because the person who's going to, you know, provide a good example and care about the people is not the same person who's going to, you know, get really good interviews for the press. And now you've got Trump because now we just expect, okay, well, we want we want a good spokesperson. The president is supposed to just be our spokesperson. Right. Right. And he has no command abilities, and you know that has its impact.
0: Yeah, I think as we talked in the last episode uh, with uh, Rob from the Swamp, you know his his inability to fill out and staff the executive branch has brought a lot of chaos on the government, and so his just his ultimately his chaotic personality and style, I think has brought some chaos to society. What I hate is that. It, it matters so much who president... It matters to society and how we act. Um, who is president has that much effect on us. And, and I, I really do think that it does have some effect. I think the presidency is far too powerful because the the we look at them... Part of it is that we do look at the president for moral leadership. Maybe not consciously, but we do. But then at the same time you watch the Sunday shows and they're all like... Aww, these guys think that we still think of politicians as moral <laughs> we look to them for leadership okay um, so it bugs me that we it really does matter what kind of leadership style the president has in terms yeah. of the country
2: well, so I can bug you it's still impactful pff,
0: I know um, that's why we gotta we gotta get rid of this government that's uh that's number one
2: so uh, what are you gonna become an anarchist now?
0: Uh, I mean, my, my views are very close to an anarchist, but uh, I'm too practical.
2: <laughs> I, I the best solve way problems. I've ever heard it, heard it put was, I think anarchy is, it's just not sustainable because mm-hmm. small governments would pop up in like a couple of weeks.
0: Yeah, well, I, the, the point of this entire show and part of what I want to do in my life is use this show to impact people with the message that Liberty starts with your personal development, and so you have to be a good person. Yeah, if we don't change ourselves, if we don't change our culture by changing ourselves, and then our our culture changes our government,
2: it, it, liberty if, demands character, and that's that's something right. that really differentiates it from um, I mean from authoritarian philosophies. And this is, is something you hear brought up a lot: is uh, people just want to ask, "Oh, well." you know, I want to be able to, you know, I care about this as a topic and that therefore our government should uh, address it rather than saying, I care about this. Therefore I want to do something about it. But then when you ever, you want to undermine, you know, the other side, you're like, Oh, well, if you really cared about that, what are you personally doing? Right. You know, I think what makes libertarians different is that we at least should. And a lot of libertarians I know do take the steps to realize like you have to have that personal action and go, well, actually, you know, when I say I care about children and I think that we should not be, you know uh, separating them from their families i say that because these are the things that i do in my community to help children and families
0: right yeah if you want to get rid of welfare but you have no set structure in your life where you're you're giving to do any sort
2: of like helping feed the poor
0: yeah there's no service aspect to your life then do you
2: know where your local food pantry is
0: right uh you know and so i think it's things like that that you have to think if we eradicate this thing then how do how do we solve that thing you know, because the reality is, we have this notion that somehow we're, we live in this like overwhelmingly structured society. You pretty much live in anarchy on a daily basis in certain ways. You may have less money in your paycheck, but it's just like like my tires, for instance. Nobody was protecting my property, and nobody has since tried to recover my property. Yeah, the, the police don't really protect you, and they have really no business protecting you. Like you live on the edge of anarchy on a daily basis. And boy, when all these bubbles start popping, the uh, I guarantee in the next one to two years, we're going to The only st-
2: thing that the government really holds is the threat of, um, yes. you know, enforcement. And I think the thing that career criminals seem to have kind of figured out is like at what point that that is just a threat.
0: Yes. And so if your personal behavior isn't going to change the world, if if, if all government ended today and you weren't doing anything differently, like what would that look like? And so I think you really have to think about your own behavior, your own character uh, and how you interact with people. And it starts with non, non-violence towards others, which we'll talk about in, in a bit. But, um, but I want to talk about violence because we have this idea, as we've talked about, that we live in like this crazy time. Like you'd think, Sarah, if you watched the news that we lived in the most violent political era of all time.
2: It's because it's all on video.
0: <laughs> right it has to be it it has to be the internet
2: well it's more in your face i mean this happened with my face is not the Vietnam violent. war you think, think of the vietnam war you know we right. we've had a lot more war before we started getting video of war and then we yes. went oh shoot is this what we're doing because i don't want to be part of this
0: and notice how we've changed the nature of war to kind of keep it out of the headlines
2: oh yeah well, and to to separate it too i mean now we've you've drone warfare you're actually dealing with um a whole new phenomenon of drone pilots having ptsd but it's there is a different way of dealing with it because it has a whole different set of triggers because they're dealing with ptsd from their actions from thousands of miles away
0: it's amazing i hadn't heard that mm-hmm. uh, so so our great research team put together some of the highlights of a, of violence in american political history and a lot of this uh i knew some of it but some of it is really surprising Um, and, and then after we kind of go through some of these instances, we're going to give you the straight, the straight dope on whether or not this is indeed a more violent time. Um, first bleeding Kansas, 1854 to 61 an interstate civil war, which took place in the years leading up to the American civil war in Kansas. 56 people were killed in the fights between pro and anti-slavery factions. Uh, we've talked about this on some bonus content before the Haymarket affair in 1886, a bomb blast erupted during a workers' demonstration. Uh, police ended up opening fire and 11 people were killed. Uh, and That was a bunch of commies. Uh, the Wilmington insurrection out near you in North Carolina in 1898. I don't know if you've heard of this. Uh, it's called I'm the, sure there's
2: a few battlefields.
0: Yeah, it's called the only successful coup in U.S. history. North Carolina's Democratic Party instigated a violent overthrow of the democratically elected fusionist government. The coup was carried out by uh, a mob of 2,000 white men. Black politicians from the fusion government were ousted, and black businesses were destroyed, and the death toll is estimated between 60 to 300. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, 1920, you had the Wall Street bombing. 100 pounds of dynamite was detonated across uh, from J.P. Morgan and Chase. Uh, killing 38 and wounding hundreds more. The bomb, the bombing was never solved, but anarchist and communist groups were blamed and investigated. Then of course you have the Klan, uh, from 1865 through the civil rights era. Um, a hundred years of just American, African Americans, uh, living in fear, being murdered, oftentimes from local governments and police. They, if they were not involved, they turned a blind eye or help facilitate it. Or were the Klan members themselves. Um, So let's go to kind of some of the more um, recent events. Those are are the most deadly events. Let's go to the more recent. The Weather Underground, from 69 to 77, founded at the University of Michigan, the Students for Democratic Society, a left-wing campus group, Uh, the Weather Underground formally declared war on the U.S. government, and they were responsible for several bombings, including in the Pentagon. Um, From 73 to 75, the Simbanese Liberation Army, uh, they kidnapped Patty Hearst. They uh, committed two murders and several bank robberies. Antifa, which is currently active. Antifa has its roots in 20s Germany as anti-fascist action. Uh, I don't know German. Uh, my great-grandfather is very disappointed. A group that battled an organized fascist um, movement. Uh, basically, they were the guys fighting the brown shirts in the streets in the, in the 20s in Germany. Uh, and so now they're back. They believe in direct action against any perceived fascism. Now they just call everything fascism, including uh, shutting down a debate between Yaron Brook and Sargon of Akkad in Britain at the College of London. Uh, they, they practice something called a black block, where they all dress in black and cover their faces and block things from happening. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's, uh, it is important that we start really recognizing Antifa as it it is it's on par with the weather underground i think we're in the beginning stages of them we're starting to see more action from them i think it's starting as they attack if they attack people on the right or they just attack regular people trying to drive down the streets the media doesn't care but when they start attacking the media and breaking their cameras now we're starting to actually see coverage of it uh you know but then a proud boy on the right kicks somebody and then all of a sudden it's you know breaking for page news <laughs> right it is it's just different standards for the left and right and that that does drive people crazy and then the left tries to gaslight us and say they don't the media says oh i don't do that we don't do that we're straight and fair and honest it's like no you're not <laughs> um yeah, everybody has their bias exactly May 19th, Communist Organization, uh, active from 78 to 85, a splinter group of the WOU. They were tied to the Black Liberation Movement, uh, and they fell apart by 85 when they were arrested by the FBI. So, those, you know, that's 69 to 85 there, here in America. Then in 92, you had the Ruby Ridge standoff, where Randy Weaver, former Army engineer and alleged white supremacist, refused to become an ATF informant after he bought two illegally modified shotguns. From an undercover uh, undercover agent, uh, he didn't appear in court, and so uh, the FBI and the ATF uh, and the U.S. Marshals went up to his uh, compound, and they um, there was a shootout. His fourteen-year-old son was killed. I think they actually they killed his wife first, uh, or the son first, and then it was a standoff uh, between. Um, the, the initial shootout was between a team of six marshals uh, who were surveilling the property. And then uh, one marshal was killed. Two members of the Weaver family died before the standoff ended. They also killed the family's dog. And it was just – it was a very, like, radical thing that the government – for the first time, the government really was going after people and people died. And I think it was a moment when people – so, Sarah, we always talk about the force of government. But this was a moment where the force of government was fully on display. And because this guy didn't comply with what the government said, his his wife, his son, and his dog ended up being killed by government agents as they descended on his home.
2: And he faced that government gun that we always talk about, that we're always told is just, you know, oh, well, you're just exaggerating.
0: I, this, I was in second grade. Like, this is 1992. This is not that far off.
2: Well, it's, um, that's when I was born, actually.
0: Oh, rub it in. Uh, 96 olympics bombing eric rudolph uh, carried out high bombings that killed two and wounded 111 at the uh, because he wanted to embarrass the government for condoning abortion and homosexuality then there was the 51 day siege at waco in 1993 a cult led by david kokesh were, where they were suspected of stockpiling firearms on the ranch and 86 davidians women and children were amongst the dead And then, motivated by the Ruby Ridge and the Waco siege, Timothy McVeigh killed 168 in Oklahoma City as he detonated a truck bomb uh, outside of an FBI, uh, outside of a a federal government agency. Um, And then there was a a shooting. I mean, people don't even know. Like, Planned Parenthood shooting where three were killed and nine were injured at an abortion clinic in Colorado Springs. So, there's... There are things that have continually happened, but they're they're kind of lessening. Um, so there is definitely a downturn in political violence. Um, go I'd ahead. be interested
2: to know how much of that is um, a downturn in, in intent for political violence and how much of that is a downturn in outcome.
0: Well, violence is down. Murder is down. But I also agree with you. I also think that we have as a society a better awareness of people's pathologies Mm -hmm. and motivations. And so we ascribe less to politics. Like I don't look at this gab shooter and say 11 people died because of politics. I say 11 people died because of mental illness. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that because
2: nobody flagged the guy with the crazy van. Right.
0: Right. You know, I mean, he certainly was anti-religious. It it was a hate crime. But at the end of the day, the guy, anybody who picks up a gun and intentionally kills a a group of people or really anybody um, when it's not. Yeah, I think it's too
2: easy to for us to write that off as as like, oh, well, you know, this clearly, you know, anybody who has that intent, anybody who's capable of that, you know, should have had. We should have known that. But at the same time, like, I'm not really confident there's any way to know for sure the difference between somebody who's actually going to go and shoot up a synagogue and somebody who has really problematic views and you try not to be around because you think he's kind of crazy
0: well the f- the feeling is that if we get these people off of social network networks if we if we get these people out of polite society so to speak then the, that's no, going right, to stop right. this and that's just that's a it, fool's no. errand
2: no that just drives people underground that that allows people to meet other people like them and plan or to become, you know, we have lone gunmen all the time. You don't need other people in order to plan heinous acts.
0: Right. Um, so this is from uh, Joseph Trevithick and Matthew Gald of Uh They write, The objectively low levels of violence in 2016, brawls at rallies aside, is a relatively recent phenomenon. In 240 years, assassins have gunned down four sitting presidents, Myriad individuals have planned to kill at least 18 of the nation's 44 chief executives. Of course, some would-be killers were driven by mental illness, cult beliefs, or a desire for fame rather than politics. Uh, they go on to talk about how the expanding voting rights is part of, while a necessary progressive step, is an unfortunate byproduct. I thought this was fascinating. Uh, as the roles expanded... more
2: people who engage in political violence. It's
0: Right, more people are have more skin in the game. Uh, Which is why, Sarah, we need to take away women's right to vote. As the roles expand... (laughs) I'm just kidding. Uh, We need to... I
2: have a crossbow. You can try.
0: (sighs) We need to get rid of white men's ability to vote. They're the dangerous ones.
2: Yeah, you know, here's the thing is that, like, that's never happened. And that's (laughs) why we find it, like, so hilariously funny is because, like, oh, you can never even picture that. Whereas, like, it's a different kind of funny to say, like, oh, let's take away women's rights to vote. You've only had those for, like, not even 100 years?
0: Yeah. Uh, as the rolls expanded, a larger politically, they write, a larger politically active populace grew. Reports of voter intimidation, vote buying, ballot stuffing, and other forms of election fraud became more common. Um, you know, they talk about Abraham Lincoln voters being barred from the polls. South Carolina white supremacists um, clashed with black citizens. And, you know, you had uh, the Hamburg Massacre, which in 1921, a white mob backed by aircraft-carrying incendiary devices burned the black community of Greenwood in Tulsa, Oklahoma, killing around 300 people. It was one of the...
2: I've heard about that. Yeah,
0: it's one of the worst massacres in American history. So look up the Hamburg Massacre. Obviously, you have the Klan. Uh, and so I thought that was an interesting. As more people have more skin in the game and uh, more people are involved in the political process, violence starts to tick up. Um, so At
2: least the violence that we consider political violence. I mean... Yes. Prior to those people having rights, it wasn't political violence. It was just domestic violence or it was just, you know, keeping your slaves in line.
0: So what is to come? Maybe it's
2: just a transfer of violence. Maybe it's just now that we're all within the political realm now. There seems to be more political violence, even though there's less violence overall. We're just all more engaged in politics.
0: I think everything is politics now because the government is involved in so much. And so it's just and it's also become the easy thing to blame. Okay.
2: Yep. Sorry, conservatives. Football is politics because the government pays for stadiums.
0: Right. Um, evolutionary anthropologist Peter Turchin believes political violence and its future potential can be analyzed quantitatively. Uh, so it's not enough just to have political discontent. Uh, so you have to have other factors that actually cause a rise in either revolution or major violence to happen. And so what he calls it is elite overproduction. And we've got the full article in the show notes. A more important factor is what has been called elite overproduction. That is, the appearance of too many elite candidates vying for a limited supply of power positions within the government and the economy. As written about in my book, War and Peace and War, elite overproduction results in intense intra-elite competition, polarization, and conflict that ultimately takes violent forms. So now think back to when I talked about that study uh, that report for earlier in the year, it is white elites on one side fighting white elites on the other, and we're all stuck in the middle. Um, so, what? you never know what will break the camel's back, like in Tunisia, Mohamed Bouazizi, Bou uh, the fruit vendor in Tunisia. Think of a forest in which deadwood has been a- accumulating for many years. We don't know what will start the fire." What is the precipitating spark? And he talks about cycles of violence. And, and you you can see this here in this chart. You can see in the 1800s, there's massive amounts of violence that takes place. And then there's an uptick in the 70s because of we, what we talked about. And it is on the rise, but it is still way, way, way down from where we were in the 70s and definitely in the 1800s. Uh, so so we are definitely at a, at a low point. In violence, And so, he also describes signs of elite overproduction that are relevant to today. In the last three or four decades, real wages of unskilled workers stagnated. The incomes of the top 1%, on the other hand, grew explosively, leading to ever-increasing economic inequality. Signs of elite overproduction include a growing demand for educational credentials, tuition rates at elite colleges that rise much faster than inflation, and the exploding numbers of new MBAs and JDs. Intra-elite competition and conflict are indicated by a rampant polarization within the U.S. Congress and increasing legislative deadlock. Finally, the declining health of the government finances can be traced to the federal debt. So these are things that we need to keep an eye on. And I definitely think that we're in a moment where um, we have uh, serious issues ahead. And I think if uh, Facebook tanks, like I think Facebook will... Uh, Facebook should never be valued at the same level as GE. (laughs) Uh, Tesla should not be valued at the same level as Ford. There is a huge tech bubble. There is a huge credit bubble. There is a huge student loan debt bubble. There is another housing crisis bubble being. And let us us not forget the uh, American government's debt bubble. If if one or several of these things burst at the same time, that is a very bad... um, that's a bad time, Sarah. Yeah.
2: Anybody who has our money in this economy, at least.
0: Yeah. So. Uh, so I I think when you really look at some of where we've been in society, we're we're not as uh, things are not as bad as it seems. And this is this is a yeah, no,
2: that's very clear. Yeah,
0: you doing this and doing the Daily Show. I'm sure you see this all the time. Once you actually like dig into facts. And, f- and like, look at statistics, and you go, things are not as bad as everybody makes it out to seem.
2: Yeah, this is something I just got used to just in working in, I've, I, I would say, I work in childcare, but I work more with parents, actually,
3: mm-hmm.
2: um, and new parents, especially. And like, that's, people put so much um, just weight on how they're gonna raise their kids and wanna make sure they have all the information. You know, it does require you to just, often just be like, okay, well, let's step back and go, what are the risks? What are we actually working with? And realize that like, wow, we're really dealing with a lot of things that are not necessary. They're not that bad. Right. You know, it's the same thing. You just need to step back and look at the reality of the situation.
0: Yeah, exactly. And, and just take a deep breath and uh, realize that things are not as bad as it seems because in reality, um,
2: turn off Facebook.
0: Yeah. Shapiro talked about this today and I think he's totally right fear always motivates people more than hope so fear and, and it's studies have been shown time and time again that if you're trying to get people to change their voting behavior you need to scare them oh yeah and so when you are being told to fear someone or think less of someone or someone is stealing something that you have or the globalists are going to take it or the blacks are to blame or the white man well, hope is just the leads devil to disappointment or, right and so that's really what I think a lot of the identity politics on the left is about is it is about creating a tension and fear of in and out groups amongst each other to pit each other for both interparty party squabbles and also to defeat the other side. Somebody is keeping you down and there are legitimate problems of inequality in our society um but they get exploited for political purposes. Donald Trump takes legitimate problems that we have in society and then exploits them for political purposes and so if if you're feeling angry about something in politics it 's usually because you 're being taken advantage of
2: yeah well, um i'm going to go slightly off topic here to actually try and get us to shift to our last. Um, question that Perfect. you gave me because we're doing that annoying thing that I always tell you is is terrible where we're over two hours now. Uh,
0: I don't mind this th- this next. I don't,
2: you don't mind.
0: <laughs> the people love it. They want more. Uh, this is th- yeah the the last topic, and I was there anyways. Thank you, I, I'm sorry. Sarah. Uh, yeah, I almost want to say like oh, let's not do this, but I've I've trimmed this part for time. Twice now, <laughs> and so I don't want like Hodi did such a great job on how we should approach politics that I don't want to not do it because we're over time. So yes, um,
2: so let's talk about why force doesn't work.
0: Force doesn't work. Nonviolent campaigns work better than violent campaigns, and so psychology today did a, a did a survey. Nonviolent campaigns have a fifty-three percent rate of success versus violent campaigns which have a 23% you're 30% less likely to succeed uh, they have a nonviolent 20% rate of f- complete failure violent campaigns trying to use force to get your way 60 percent of the time you will fail um, so it, it just statistically you're not going it's not going to work out so why does that happen? Uh, Nonviolent campaigns attract more participants, including women, elderly folks, others who do not want to take the risks or the moral burdens of running around with guns or explosives. Uh, And so people are more willing to get engaged if it's nonviolent. It also sticks better. It does. Uh, So second, when a tyrannical government acts to suppress a nonviolent movement, it is more likely to backfire. Government security forces don't want to open fire on unarmed civilians, especially when the crowd might include their mothers, daughters, friends, and neighbors. And if unarmed civilians are attacked, other citizens are likely to mobilize, and the government loses support from the local community, the international community, the local media, the financial sectors. Uh, It matters
2: who hits first.
0: It's exactly right. Uh, And and in the case of the Proud Boys versus Antifa, who hits at all? And uh, as I've said before, libertarians, we may not think of ourselves as right or left, but the left, and by extension the media, mainstream media, certainly thinks of us as right. Right of center. Yeah. Um, so, and the outcome is more likely to be democratic than uh, authoritarian At when you overthrow a government. Um, so... It sounds kind of idealistic, but if you look at some of the real-world examples of nonviolent campaigns and protest, uh, the Salt March, for instance, and Mah- Gandhi, Mahatma Gandhi was. Uh, the Brit, the British, told their citizens that they weren't allowed to collect or sell salt, which was in at that time they were a primitive society in India. Salt has always been incredibly important because it's used for preservatives, it's used for a myriad of uses. And so when you tell a population that they can't collect or sell salt, that's a huge injustice. Uh, So he walked 240 miles leading protesters to the Arabian Sea to pick up a small handful of salt out of the muddy waters of the sea. Only 17 years later, after this peaceful yet defiant act, India gained independence from Britain. So... Overthrow trunk or treat in your hometown. Just say no to trunk or treat, Sarah.
2: Yeah, it's you have to. When when you're being violent, people can go ahead and uh, draw their own conclusions about what you are trying to advocate for, what you're trying to achieve. But when you're going through nonviolent means, um, it, people have to pay attention or listen in some way in order to get an idea of what you're doing. Yes. And yes, it makes it easier to overlook you, which is always the fear is, well, if I'm not violent, if I'm not in your face, then I'll get ignored. But, you know, when people are violent in your face, do you listen?
0: Yeah. The suffrage the suffrage movement, I made a joke about it, but the suffrage movement is actually a great example of... Uh, non- yeah,
2: let's be clear. Women had to convince men to let them vote first.
0: Yeah, exactly. And it is a great example of guerrilla nonviolent warfare <laughs> because women were able to use all myriad of uh, tactics that women are good at. Uh, well,
2: you know, some of those tactics, though, we shouldn't look back on with pride. I mean, one of the one of the top tactics um, was actually pointing to the fact that black men had the right to vote. And right. one of the big arguments being made was that a white woman has more right to vote than any black man. Right. And, you know, it, that... I don't know. Those are the kinds of things that I think about when earlier we were talking about, you know, some point having to have, you know, kind of an amorality when it comes to politics. But you got to draw a line somewhere.
0: Sure. Yeah. Well, I think women saying to their husband, like, how are you voting on this uh, amendment today? (laughs) There there are things like that that I think the suffragette movement really, the suffrage movement, excuse me, uh, they, they were suffragettes. Uh, is is an yeah, you important... know that
2: with even that like that it was created as a derogatory term right it's little it's little voting woman
0: right <laughs> uh montgomery bus boycott there are times when one person's peaceful actions can bring about more change than anyone can imagine rosa parks refusal to give up her seat to a white passenger on a bus in montgomery is one such example her defiant act symbolized greater civil rights spreading the message that all people deserve equal seats uh, it was a year later in 56 uh, that segregation on public buses was ruled unconstitutional. Uh, Rosa Parks said, People always say that I didn't give up my seat because I was tired, but that isn't true. I was not tired physically or no more tired than I usually am at the end of a working day. I was not old, although some people have an image of being uh, of me being old then. I was 42. No, uh, the only tired I was was tired of giving in. And uh, I think that's an important emotion that you see continually like the fruit vendor in Tunisia that set off this uh, off the Arab Spring. You know, it was constant uh, government officials coming up and saying, you got to pay me this bribe or you can't come back here tomorrow. And finally, he just had had enough and he lit himself on fire. Uh, you know, and so uh, it is it, it is those small little acts of defiance, but it's also those little small acts of compliance that eventually add up. To a person finally snapping and saying "I'm not going to comply anymore. I'm not going to obey anymore
2: I mean uh, that's exercising your liberty that's that's the thing we always try and get through as, as a basic principle to people is that you even when your choices are coerced, you know you, you, there's there's always some level of, of choice in that and that the good that we can do is by maximizing the amount of choice that you have right and minimizing the amount of coercion.
0: So, obviously, we're a country that started peaceful and then ended up being a violent birth, Um, you know, but if you compare the American Revolution to the French Revolution, obviously, it ended up being far less. We had one constitution. We had one Articles of Confederation, one constitution in the same time that France had 17 Mm -hmm. constitutions and then lost it to tyranny. Um, So, obviously, violence can erupt from peaceful protests uh, in, in mass scales. Um, but you have a better chance of convincing people to your side if you are not the aggressor. For instance, France coming to the aid of the American government. Mm-hmm. So what, yes. ha, ha, how, what are the hallmarks of a nonviolent protest? This is the art of protest by the New York Times. First and foremost, you've got to plan, plan, plan. Uh, the civil rights movement planned like none other, including down to having people rough each other up and call them the same names that they would be called when they sat at the lunch counters. You're going to go, and you're not going to comply. You're going to sit at the white lunch counter. You're going to be hit and beaten, and this is what it feels like. This is what it feels like emotionally. And these were the small little planning uh, things that they did that, that really made the difference uh, in the long run. Provoke your opponent if necessary. Martin Luther King in the march in Birmingham uh, did something very controversial. He had He allowed children to walk in the march as young as six years old. And um, it was even criticized by Malcolm X. And when the fire hoses and the dogs were turned on the crowd and the children were at risk, that is really what made the nightly news. That is what made the front page. And it was a strong moral appeal to public opinion. And it uh, it showed protesters making sacrifices for their cause, and it lured opponents into violence that finally. So so when their opponents finally gave in to violence that's what swayed the view of whites. And so what I think is kind of lost a lot of times in the civil rights narrative and, and any stri- any fight for justice is that you have to have a sympathy a sympathetic minority within the in-group to help fight your cause. And so Martin Luther King was in the out-group. He was in he he was part of black America. And you had to have a certain segment of the in-group, white America, to participate in the struggle with you, to be your advocate on the inside, uh, so then you can be more effective. And so that's that's part of why like, I don't understand um, sometimes like, the Black Lives Matter movement, where they're intentionally provocative to uh, people that could be in the in-group. For instance, uh, Kaepernick's n- not kneeling or, or kneeling for the anthem – it needlessly infuriated a lot of veterans and police officers and people that if you're trying to get a behavior to change in police officers, why would you piss them off? Yeah. So you have to have a certain segment of that in-group that can then vouch for you when you go and talk to them and they're unsure. The friendly voice next to them goes, yeah, they're right, you know.
2: Yeah. You need somebody who's going to follow them back to the station and listen to the complaint and then also go, yeah, but I mean, did you hear these couple other things that they said?
0: Right. So, protests are most effective when they aim for an achievable goal in one location, knowing that the real battle is for national public opinion. Uh, Think national, act local. On a local level, the civil rights movement often failed. For example, the concessions won by the Birmingham protesters were vague and modest, but in Birmingham, that finally gave momentum to the passage of the civil rights legislation. Use humor. So, I'm actually reading a book by um, uh, one of these, uh, by uh, Serja Popovic. In Serbia, the Optor movement, the Ottpor movement, mobilized the country against dictator Milosevic by using pranks to cut through fear. Its daily fare consisted of street actions that painted Milosevic as absurd. When the tyrants dedicated a new bridge, Optor built one out of styrofoam and held its own ceremony. He calls this laftivism. It does more than conquer fear. Humor breaks down defenses, creating an openness that allows people to consider your argument. If the joke is good, even the police get it, said Ivan Morovic, another Optor leader. And I think um, Hody writes in the notes, I think this is a good example why social justice warriors lose is because they seem rather humorless. And why a group like Liberty Memes wins is because they're making very uh, keen political points in a humorous way. Yeah. You have to pull out the pillars. Um, (laughs) You have to go after... uh, Optor members went after grandparents and uh, senior citizens, for instance. uh, When you go after the pillars, the whole structure falls. Senior citizens and his police were two of Milosevic's most important pillars. Optor members worked on both whenever they were arrested, which was often. Grandparents got angry when high school students were repeatedly arrested. Um, at every presence, they would talk to the police and make them laugh and make them seem like people. Um, police officers would complain to us about their salaries, they said. Uh, if you later order these people to shoot us, well, don't count on it. And so they had become friends with the ground troops for Milosevic, this dictator who uh, coined uh, 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 was ethnic cleansing. And uh, he, they were able to, by, through charm, erode the power of the police exploit galvanizing events um during the 70s the u.s built nuclear power plants the first major protests claim came from the clamshell alliance and then when uh, reactor number two at three mile island um melted down then they were able to quickly mobilize and uh, make their point quickly but they had done work ahead of time so uh so, yeah, I think those are some really great points in how to actually condu- conduct yourself when you're planning in your local area. I mean, what are some local nonviolent activism uh, th- things that you've seen successful in your time in politics?
2: Oh, gosh, put me on the spot there. Um, That's hard. <laughs> yeah, I you know, I was I was actually thinking about what you said were, you know, you act local. Um, think national is one thing that was really big in North Carolina was actually the bathroom bill. Yeah. Uh, HB2, which locally, you know, they're said that, okay, they, that it was repealed. It was it was kind of a bullshit repeal. It, it didn't really do anything. It actually, in the repeal, it barred um, cities from being able to make any sort of non-discrimination ordinances for, I think, three-year cooling down period. Um, but it caused this big national conversation around like, whoa, is this something that we want to be legislating? Um, And it caused, I know the Obama administration came out with, you know, its guidance, which has now, you know, gone into the Trump administration. But um, it it was, it was something that the people who were dealing with it um, locally knew that this was worth fighting. And they, they said this a lot too, that it was worth fighting for, and getting something through because it was necessary to have the conversation. Yeah. Uh, even if they weren't going to win.
0: Yeah. And, and weren't there a lot of, like, funny attempts, uh, like, people would do oh, things like bathrooms? Oh, yeah, the bathroom, bathroom signs. Yeah. yeah.
2: Oh, Charlotte is still a fantastic place to go uh, just to go to the bathroom there because <laughs> you will not. You, you are hard-pressed to actually find male and female signed bathrooms. Um, there's some of them will just use, um, just pictures of random things. Uh, The Prince symbol is a pretty popular one. Uh, But the whole point being, you know, to get you to laugh and to question that like, oh, this is just, this is literally just an arbitrary symbol, um, that we've made. Uh, transgender bathrooms have been masquerading for decades as family bathrooms and nobody had a problem with it. Yeah.
0: <laughs> At my work we have two bathrooms we have and they have a male and a female sign and we all go to the women's restroom all the time and, and my coworker my female co-worker was like this is the ladies' room I go I don't see gender okay I am a progressive when it comes to not seeing gender and so I am going to use the ladies' room if I have to because I support and she's very liberal very you know progressive and so she couldn't even argue with me.
2: She's yeah, like, it's just a bathroom. The right. only reason you know what? Tell her the only reason they're even gender segregated is because of government regulations. That's right. I don't care if there's tampons
0: in there. I'm I'm a, I'm comfortable with my masculinity. I know things happen down there that I don't understand. Like sex.
2: <laughs> well, just a little more experience. Yeah.
0: One day. All right, Sarah. Well, um see, now you see what a commitment the the big show is it's a big commi- I know. it's 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 are you tired
2: a little bit but that's because you're like the last of my various appointments <laughs> yeah.
0: story of my life sarah um hmm. uh, all right well final thoughts for the episode uh please and also shameless self-promotion for things like speaking uh, uh, speaking of liberty i'm too tired Yeah, to speaking
2: remember. of liberty is um a little bit on hiatus right now so please check me out on youtube at the we are libertarians channel uh, for fundamental freedoms, um, we try to have a video out every Sunday. Um, some weeks we don't quite get the editing in in time, but um, we are trying to get one out every week, and they're covering a variety of topics having to do with liberty. Um,
0: Just two minutes. I mean, little- definitely
2: check us out on on Wall Daily, though. Much more common there.
0: Two like the thing about the videos is like I know these are time commitments for people to listen to this stuff, and so. Sarah really understands what she's talking about. Huh? Two to five minutes. Two to five, Follow yeah. Me. I'm not going to – I won't pigeonhole you. But yeah, just on a on a basic topic that people are talking about and it's here's the libertarian position just to get you to think that you can share, send it to friends. Uh, yeah, and so we, we try to be as consistent as possible. But hey, we're all volunteers here at We Are Libertarians. And, and uh, if you
2: have any topics, I mean, that's always a help. If you have um, anything that you would really like, hey, can you give me a, a quick clip that I can share with some family and friends to explain this topic? I'm We have one uh, coming up that I'm going to record on um, on our open borders policy. You know, why do we care about immigration like that?
0: And honestly, if you're a kick ass video editor, let us know. Oh, please. <laughs> so I did. Uh, I am
2: highly technologically impaired.
0: <laughs> oh, you guys have no idea. She's a boomer. <laughs> So I do the editing, uh, but yeah, there's a lot going on. So if you're a kick-ass video editor, especially After Effects, Premiere, Motion, all that stuff, if you want to get involved, please. They're very easy videos to edit. So it just it, it takes some time to organize here. So anyways, uh, more, more final thoughts from you, Sarah.
2: Just, you know, when it comes to peaceful action, that's and this, this goes back to I deal with this with kids. You can force kids to do what you want. Um, but you're not teaching them to do what you want. You're teaching them that if they're going to do something you don't want, they should not do it in front of you. Yeah. So it's not a lesson that sticks. You, In order to get people to change their minds about any topic, even when you're right, especially when you're right, it has to be done um, deliberately and it has to be done through careful reasoning and through addressing like, how can I frame this so that it matters to you? And part of that is going to be listening to actually understand your perspective.
0: You know what you should do? You should do a Wall Daily series called Political Boundaries, and it should be about a nanny's guide for adult boundaries in politics.
2: Oh, I could do that.
0: I think that'd be fascinating. I think you do do a Wall Daily where you do the series where you talk about stuff like that, because I'm listening to that, and I'm going, you know, that's very common sense, but I don't think that's very common for people to have that sense, and so... You know, you being a nanny, you really have thought deeply about human nature and psychology. So I think that'd be kind of interesting. Like,
2: Yeah, my, my job is I specialize in the teeny tiny ones. Right. Where you're really teaching them academic stuff. All you, have to te- all you get to teach them at that age is like, how to not be terrible adults when you grow up. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, I would love to talk about that.
0: Uh, we'll definitely have to do that then. Yeah, put that on the docket. Political boundaries with Sarah Brady Wagner. Uh, all right. Any final thoughts?
2: Uh, You've asked me a few times. I think I've given them. Okay. Do you have any final thoughts, sir?
0: Listen, I like to make sure that you have said everything that you want to say because I know that I get going. And then I forget. If I have
2: more words, I'll make a video.
0: And then forget that anybody else is there. Poor Harry. (laughs) <laughs> I just have to remember to breathe sometimes. Uh, all right. I have no final thoughts. I have said everything that I want to say. Uh, I just want you to think about your relationship with the government and uh, think about what the impact. We talked about command and control with Donald Trump. Is it a
2: healthy relationship? Is it an abusive relationship? Yeah.
0: like We talked about command and control with Donald Trump, and that is an individual. But when when the real culprit is an overarching structure – that lives above us. It's this man in the sky that's going to come out and get us at any given time, or it's going to bring us treats. And so we kind of have like built up Santa Claus and Satan at the same time, uh, and we just need to learn to start taking responsibility for ourselves. Uh, so everybody, uh, thank you for listening to We Are Libertarians. We appreciate it. Please uh, be listening to Wall Daily. Be listening to all of the shows, like the Brian Nichols Show. A major jump in his numbers. A lot of you have it's caught like a fifth on. Of
2: the length of this,
0: yeah, like they're all like twenty minutes. Uh, the Wall Daily are, are perfect for a drive, so you can go and listen to those. We do three a week at this point, so you get two two walls, or um, or you get uh, and you get three three short episodes just to kind of fill you in about various topics. And uh, yeah, perfect for a drive. And please, if you're on a commute, like our friend that wrote the letter last time, if you're on a commute, indoctrinate your friends uh, with your your commuters. All right. Thank you for joining us here in this episode of We Are Libertarians. Don't forget the election, uh, election night party on Zoom. Uh, So if you want to join in, you've got to be a $10 a month Patreon subscriber. And listen, if you've made it to this point in the episode, then you need to be supporting the show. We need you to start. You You really do get something out of this. You like this show. You get something out of it. And if you get something out of something, you must give something back. And so be a share on Facebook or, or Twitter or with a friend that you know is a libertarian or kind of libertarian leaning if they're conservative or liberal at the moment. Like just share the show. Join Patreon and uh listen, we'll all benefit. We'll be able to do more stuff. I've got to buy Sarah webcam, maybe a computer, and uh I've got to buy like five microphones. And so we need the Patreon money. We need you to support us. I wanna to go to Students for Liberty in February. I wanna have a booth there. So we need, uh, we need Patreon donations for that. So that's what that's the kind of stuff that we use the Patreon money for just to keep the network growing. And as I've added new people, I want to be able to give them the tools to do this kind of stuff. And if we ever make enough money, give them maybe some money for their time too. So join Patreon and uh, you get more stuff out of it. So, all right, thanks for joining us here on this episode of We Are Libertarians. And we will see you tomorrow.
1: Bye.